It's that time again! Hello, everybody! Happy Friday! Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rory Sodder and the News. I'm Rory Sodder, your host. I hope you all are doing very well. I hope you had a fantastic week. I hope you have an exciting weekend plans. Big show tonight, a lot to address, a lot to establish. Many notable names in attendance. My first guest joining us right now uh, is Judd Soul. He has had a hell of a career. Uh, what a background, what a resume. I'm glad he's joining us for the first time. Judd, uh, first and foremost, tell us how it all started for you. Give us a bio, a background, all that good jazz. Well, uh, let me see where to begin. Um, I have been involved in uh, the conservative movement and in politics uh, for well over, oh, 13 years now. And um, I decided to bring my trade, which is filmmaking, uh, and apply it to getting out truth, getting out a message and bringing it, uh, bringing out a, uh, bring it out for a good cause. Uh, sacrificed a lot uh, in career, but it's just I, I had a come to Jesus moment where am I going to put my talents for nothing for just for personal gain? Uh, not, you know, for, for things that probably aren't uh, necessarily appropriate and, or bringing a message to, uh, that brings truth and that can wake up the people and better my nation and, uh, and uh, make a difference in this world. So that's where I started. I started uh, applying my talents in filmmaking and investigating and exposing things. And, you know, I, I have to ask you, what inspired you? What really got you going and motivated uh, to dive into the realm of politics? You know, because it sounds like you're very dedicated to the craft at this point. Uh, mm -hmm. You're all in. You know, that that is your livelihood. You know, you live and breathe it. Well, um, this is a it's a crazy story, but this is what happened to me. Um I'm one of the unique individuals that uh, had a, had the terrible opportunity to go to a uh, what's referred to as a lab school when I was in junior high and high school. And what a lab school essentially is, it's a school that's directly affiliated with a university where they try out new experimental education programs on kids. And it was called a lab school for that reason. And this was back in the early 90s. Way back in the early 90s, where what is the new normal now for wokeness was being taught to me in the early 90s. And go ahead. No, keep going. Keep going. No, and what happened was, is um, for some reason, I, I, I just call it the grace of God. I saw that this was wrong. I saw what they were teaching was wrong. I saw everything down the pike and I'm going, okay, this doesn't make sense to me but I was the only student standing up against it and questioning things. And it got so bad to the point that uh, in my junior year of high school, the administration called my parents into the school. They had several teachers show up to the meeting and they said, your son shouldn't go here because of his beliefs. Wow. And um, I was pretty much, uh, you know, I, I was uh, a lot of a, um, damage done psychologically by the teachers. Um, I would always get cornered. I was bullied by the teachers all the time telling me that I need to open my mind. I need to, uh, 
um, just be able to think for myself. I need to forget what my parents were teaching me. Uh, everything that I was rooted in, all my Christian conservative values were always questioned every day by all my teachers and fellow students. And, and it sounds like with this whole scenario, the indoctrination was going on way before we started really hearing about it like we like we are now. I mean, this is the 90s you're talking about. Yeah, early, I mean, early, early 90s. And it sounds in a way like psychological warfare, too. I mean, they, they're putting all this. Is that is that fair to say? Well, no, 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 it, no. It, it was actually part of a program that they were uh, using on us. And I found out later investigating. I went back to the university records and I found out what what they were uh, actually trying to do. And we were part of an experiment called values clarification. It was a psychological experiment that was put on my grade and the grade before me. And all the teachers were in on it reporting on, um, on, on the effects and the positives and the changes and things that were going on. But for some reason I did not fit their mold and they had to kick, they had to kick me out because I kept on asking questions. I'm talking everything from radical environmentalism, uh, um, they were talking about white privilege back in the early nineties. They were pushing the woke stuff on us. Uh, then they were telling us that there's no way a black person could be racist. Only white people could be racist. Um, uh, pushing the, uh, uh, homosexual agenda on us in the school. And remember outside in public school, this was not the norm. Uh, this people had no idea what was going on, but then, um, they booted me out of the school after the fact I got out and, um, what really happened was, is I, I was just kind of sick of politics. I was sick of everything. I was just wanted to be free. So for the my adult life, I went to film school, did my own thing. But then I saw everything that was done to me in the early 90s was becoming the new norm. Uh, that's when Obama got elected. And I saw what was happening in the country in this major shift. Because I never thought it would be possible for these nuts to actually run things. But what they were teaching and doing there then became the new normal starting, you know, uh, in 2008 on. Wow. So I, I have to ask you, um, is it fair to say that this program and kind of what they, you know, presented you with and, and shoved down your throat is like an MK Ultra CIA sort of stuff? Like, and, you know, you go back to look at some of these experiments they did on people like in, at Stanford, I think a long time ago that what was it? The Stanford prison experience. So was that what it was where they tortured all these people? No, it, no, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a torture thing, but it was, uh, but not, I don't mean like to yeah. that extent, but no, like, yeah, but, but what, what, what it was, was it was a planned program. And the, the whole point of values clarification was to take it, to take a, um, a kid and to make them, reevaluate and think things for themselves and disregard what their parents were teaching you and what your, what your norms were. So, um, and then you, but, so, but it's, but they're not getting you to think for yourself. They're reprogramming you on how to think. Right. So like in, in social studies class, for instance, they would ask the question, um, you know, they give a scenario of so-and-so is really, really, really poor and they walk by a grocery store and they have apples sitting outside. Um, you know, is it, is it okay for the um, person to steal because they're hungry? Right. It's a yes or no answer. 
Is it okay for them to steal because they're hungry? There is no in between where I'm saying, well, he could get a job and work for the food. He could do X, Y, Z for this. No, it was either a yes or no answer. And the, and the correct answer to this question is, yes, it's okay to steal if you're hungry. If you said no, you had the wrong answer. Insanity. And um, and then I remember this uh, very clearly. This happened to me in junior high where my uh, teacher, it was the first day of junior high school, my first day at the school and the first day of social studies. The teacher uh, gets up and asks all the kids, um, what do you kids think about homosexuality? This is in the early 90s, okay? All right, in seventh graders. And she goes, how many of you think it's okay? You know, a good chunk of the class raised their hand. How many of you don't know? The other half raised their hand. And then they came to me like, and then she goes, how many of you disagree with it or have a problem with it? I raised my hand because I'm a Christian. I said, and she goes, judge, stand up. And she goes, why do you have a problem with homosexuality? I said, well, I'm a Christian. And according to the Bible, uh, it's a sin. And then she goes back to the board, writes the word homophobic on the board. And I'm singled out standing up in front of the whole class. And she goes, judge, you are a homophobe. This is the kind of stuff they did to like to me in the, in the early nineties at the school. And so they taught all the other kids don't say anything, don't question, just go along with it. Otherwise you're going to get singled out. But for some reason, when they pushed back on me, I always fought back and asked questions. And I got into an argument with the teacher until she told me to sit down and leave out of class. And this, but this was, this like happened every day, every week, somewhere in the school in some class where this kind of thing happened. Wow. So that takes bravery, man. That takes courage. I mean, you really, you know, to, yeah. to be to the, to, to be the uh, solo, you know, kind of guy walking on his own and, and thinking for himself and not being a follower, you know, it's, it's just, it's just how I was taught. And I said, I call, I call it a gift from God or a grace from God to be able to stand up to it. But then watching all that happen, and being part of that, and then all of a sudden, I just see this massive cultural shift, this massive change happening. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is not happening to mainstream. So that's when I decided to stand up and, and start being a voice and start fighting this stuff. No, I hear you, man. I hear you. And, and you know, I want to ask you, you know, after this, so after you went to this school, so explain to, explain to the audience. This was early on, right? This was... Mm -hmm. What, what was this, grade school and high school? Junior high and high school is when I went. I came from a Christian school, and then I transferred to this school. And transferring to this school, I mean, when you first got there, did you, like, explain to your parents what was going on? Did you explain and express the concern? And They had, they had no, they couldn't comprehend. Oh, so they basically, they basically kind of took it as, you were a young kid. I'm a young kid. I'm rebelling at school and he doesn't want to. And you're not school. listening to your teachers. Yeah, and you... not, right, right. That's, but that's how they took it. Wow. So I, so after you had kind of experienced this and endured all of this and saw, um, I mean, clearly, you know, you, you can make films about it and you could, oh, yeah. and, and I'm sure there's so many memories and things that you, took away from these experiences that um, can resonate 
definitely mm-hmm. with a lot of people putting it into art form like you are. Down the road, it's something I, I've, I've definitely considered doing and documenting, but it's, it's because a, it's there a, are people yeah. that experience what you experience every day and it's getting worse and worse. It seems like, and well, well, well now it's, but, but now, now it's transferred to the workplace. It's transferred to, uh, you know, all of education. I mean, even in preschools, I mean, they're, they're doing this stuff. Uh, it's every, everywhere you go, everywhere you look, every, uh, it is everywhere now. And, and they have gotten it to the point, if you're not in on it, if you're not going along with it, they will try to silence you, isolate you and, and, and cancel you. I mean, this is to the point of where it's at. And, uh, you know, but like I said, after seeing what was going on, I'm like, I, we have to stand up. We got to speak truth and fight this as much as we can now, because it's going to get a lot painful later. The insane are running the asylum and we allowed it to happen. Yeah. I mean, what, what would be your solution if you were in charge of all this stuff? <laughs> if I were in charge of all this stuff, I would, uh, I, you can't play with it. You can't play with them. You can't say, oh, you have good intentions and everything's fine. They need to be fired from their positions of authority. They need to uh, be fired from having the ability to influence our kids and they need to be booted out of corporate America. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to change this, that's, I mean, that's really what has to happen. Um, okay. And and what? Sorry. No. And then the other thing is, is, is as a, I'm, I'm a Christian and that is the basis of everything I do is we need to get back to truth, absolute truth and uh, have a standard on the, uh, of the values on which we believe. Yeah. And, and the left brings no standards whatsoever, but even us, even on, on the right and even some of the Republican side, we're compromising on basic standards of truth and morality. And the more we get away from that, the more, the, the worse it's going to get for us. But we have to have a standard on, on which we base our worldview. And uh, we have to get back to that first and then we can start correcting things later. Agreed. 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 And, you know, I, I, I do want to mention the fact that taking society and, you know, with where we're at and gotten, they've taken, you know, God out of the picture and bad things have happened, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's become replaced with evil, demonic ideology that is influencing so many minds. Yeah. And, and, it, and so it starts. I mean, it, uh, politics it goes, it should, it goes church, culture, then politics. Politics only represents the culture we're in. When the church steps out of the way, we have a rotting culture. And you can see just in the, since they took God out of schools, they took prayer out of schools. They removed 10 commandments from our capitals. Has our society gotten better or has it gotten worse? Worse. There you go. We have to get back to the standards on which this country was founded. And I always tell people exactly. You just brought up, my exact point, you know, this country was founded upon Christianity values, biblical principles. That's what our founding fathers originated and based the constitution on. That's how they wrote it. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, and um, so wait, so I have to ask you, why did you leave the Christian school and go to this other school? Uh, the Christian school went up until sixth grade and they were done. And then I went to this other school because it was smaller and had better chance at sports. My, my, 
my dad wanted me to be involved in sports and get a lot of play time. And it, a small school allows you for that. And talk that about, time. talk about your athletic years. Were you, what, what sports did you play? Uh, I did football. Um, yep. I did a shot and disc and, uh, you know, in track and, uh, I did swimming team for a while. Yeah. But football was primarily my sport. What position did you play in football? Well, since it was a small school, I was offensive line, defensive line, and I was a place kicker. Oh, wow. I got yeah. no breaks. <laughs> Damn, man. So you play, you pretty much were a jack of all trades in the sports area. I mean, you, you did yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. You were a real athlete, huh? Yeah, it doesn't really show now, does it? No, I, I mean, I could see it. I could definitely still see it, man. And yeah. um, do you watch a lot of sports? Do you, what, what's. Uh... Not anymore. Um, no. Not anymore. I don't get much into sports as much anymore. I pretty much dedicated all my time and passion to trying to make a difference uh, here in the U.S. and in uh, Nigeria. If you see some of the pictures of stuff behind me, um, I do missions in Nigeria. So yeah. I don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to go back to after you yeah. left this, after you left this school, immediately you started kind of making films. And what was your first film when you left school? Uh, my, <laughs> my, uh, my first real film, cause I, I went to film video production. So I did a lot of corporate work and yeah. you know, corporate jobs doing different things. And then, uh, I say I had the worst day of my life, uh, in film when I was working for an ad agency that hired me to do a, um, to do a little thing about women quilting in Iowa. And it was the most horrendous experience I ever had. I was like, this is not why I got into film. I did not get into film to do an entire thing about women quilting. This is just, just this, this is insanity. So after that day, I made the decision, I'm going to start doing projects for myself. And so the first film that I did after that was I did a full documentary on people that play video games for a living as a sport. And uh, we went to international film festivals, went all over the world with it. And, uh, uh, of course, in my kind of basic nature, I found I like to expose things. In that film, we ended up exposing one of the largest video game leagues in the business that was not paying gamers the prize money that they were supposed to win. And we shut the league down. Wow. So so the first film... It, it, it was like going undercover to expose these. Well, that's not how it started. It started. I just wanted to document, you know, right. the esports world, the people playing all over the world, winning oh, yeah. large money for tournaments. And okay. then we found out as we were making it that these guys weren't paying prize money. Right. And we're just like, we're going to drop the hammer on them. And the day we premiered our film at the AFI Dallas Film Festival, all the sponsors pulled out of the league and they shut down. This was a multi-million dollar league. Yeah, I remember this was a big thing. Um, I, I, have, I, I have to ask you, um, how many different areas of the country and even internationally did you travel to to see all this stuff? Because this oh, was, this was yeah. the real deal for a lot. I remember this trend, and it still kind of is a trend. People are oh, still it, doing yeah. it. It's, it's bigger. It's way bigger now than it was then, but this is kind of at the cusp where it was starting to – um, it was starting to explode and we got in right at that moment when we started, when we documented it. So, I mean, all over the country, uh, you know, East, uh, New York to Los Angeles, Kentucky. I lived with the highest paid video gamer at the time at his house for a month, documenting what he was doing, took us over to Europe, um, uh, Germany, uh, Poland, uh, France. And we, 
we documented this industry and what was going on. And uh, yeah, so that was my first film. And then it ended up, you know, like becoming a, a bit of a cult hit because of what we exposed. And then after that whole time period, I, like I said, I switched everything over and that went into doing everything for a conservative uh, message and cause. Wow. Wow. So, so, so after, so the video game uh, project, how long did that take you to make? Uh, two and a half years. Holy shit, man. That's a long time. Yes. What, what, what? So, I mean, that, that's a little unusual, right? No, if you're doing a long form documentary and you're, and you're following a story and documenting it, uh, that, that can be normal for, for you, what you're trying to do. You it, really it was my first film. So I made, I made some rookie mistakes as well. So. But you really, it sounds like you really put your blood, sweat and tears into this film. And yeah. you really, I mean, two and a half years and traveling to all these different places. You said how many countries? Um, let's see. Two, three. Uh, I, through it, we did about four countries. Wow. And, and did, um, again, which ones? Poland, Germany, France, U.S. And when you were going through Germany, Poland, and France, were you going through many different cities and seeing this stuff, or was yeah, there yeah. just one? Well, well, no, following following different tournaments, different tournaments and things that were going. Oh, on. so these countries, what they would do is they would they would have a tournament in a city for a couple of days, then they would yeah. go to another, then it would go to yeah. another city. Right. Then you and you you'd bounce around and then. You know, different leagues at the time were kind of were doing different things. People were trying to uh, get the corner in the market on who was going to do pro gaming, and that's. <laughs> and and how competitive did you see guys get? I mean, were there fist fights? People beating the shit yes. out of each other? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, we saw it all. We saw it all. And people that were people even killing each other. I've seen yeah. people kill like stories of people killing each other. I never saw the killing each other, but we saw fights. We saw, um, you know, and we saw people that would literally do nothing for 20 hours, but play constantly. And, uh, it, it got, it, there's a certain point in the, in making and doing the film where we were in France and I walk into a room with, in a hotel room, all these guys got their computer set up there and they're practicing. And I said, Hey guys, uh, I'm going to go out. I'm going to get, go get location shots. I'm going to go to the Eiffel tower. I'm going to go to the Louvre. We're going to go to this area here. I said, why don't you, uh, why, why don't you come out with us? Get some sunshine go see France. Right. And they're all like, well, no, I think we're just going to sit here and practice. We're just going to practice. I said, Hey guys, how is there any other chance that you're going to be in another country on someone else's dime in Paris? Are you going to get this opportunity again to go see Paris? And I, I convinced one to stop playing and come with me and enjoy the day. But that, but you know, they're playing the video games, they're locked in and they're completely missing life. That's right in front of them. That was and, one of the sad things. And did you see about, did you see the addiction aspect to the whole scenario? I mean, it really becomes oh. people's entire yeah. life. I mean, yeah, they it's, don't... It, their entire life, entire addiction. And the other thing is I noticed a lot of these guys did not have basic social skills. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, very just, eccentric. Yeah. Very yeah, eccentric, absolutely. but basic social skills. And, uh, I like when the camera's off, I mean, I became friends with a lot of them and I'd be like, Hey, this is what you do in this situation. You know, yeah. you should, you should, uh, uh, tip the guy that's hauling your large and remember at the time 
heavy CRT monitor screens, monitors. You know, they didn't have the LCDs at the time. They were still using CRT monitors. And the, you got the poor uh, uh, <laughs> uh, doorman carrying their monitors. It's like, give them five bucks. This right. is what you do. You tip them. They didn't know anything about that stuff. Wow. So after that, uh, you what was the second film? A second film. I moved from that to uh, um, doing a film, taking on the IRS. Holy moly! You know, I, I want I want to come right back. Stay with us because yeah. I really want to hear about that. Uh, this is going to be fascinating because I everybody hates Uncle Sam. All right, coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. This is Rory Sodder and the news. Can you please tell the jury why you're here today? Ms. Hurt accused me of abuse. My ex-husband is suing me. Brutal, cruel. This is humiliating for any human being to go through. And all false. Amber Heard forever changed Mr. Depp's life and reputation. Behind the fame, you're going to see who the real Johnny Depp is. Depp was the one who wanted the cameras in the courtroom. She didn't. I would argue it's a PR campaign disguised as a defamation case. There's the man himself. It's been a social media circus of commentary from creators and influencers. Did you commit any kind of prank? Absolutely not. On my side of the bed was human fecal matter. <laughs> this has moved away from a news story or a lawsuit. And it's transformed into a cultural moment. People are live tweeting. People are live streaming. Where does it end? The engagement is phenomenal. Videos can be very easily manipulated and republished. We're being influenced by bots interacting with bots. Johnny Depp is clearly winning right now in the court of public opinion. I've never been so scared in my life. She's acting. This trial is about so much more than Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Why are we all so fascinated with this case? Because they're famous, because of the details. What didn't the jury see? He just kicked me. It didn't happen. I don't know who to believe. I was hitting you. Mr. Mr. Depp is your victim, isn't he? This is not so much about the legal merit, but rather what the public perception is. And that leads us to the real question, which is, what is the actual truth? Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. I'm still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. My pillow 2.0. Wow, it's so soft and smooth. It's cool to the touch. How did you do that? Well, we took my pillow's patented bill and combined it with this new technology that we didn't have back then when I invented my pillow to bring you the best pillow in history, MyPillow 2.0. Just like all of you, I never imagined that MyPillow could get any better. 
That's why I haven't changed it in nearly 20 years. Then I heard about a revolutionary new technology, and I knew I had to bring it to you all. MyPillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of MyPillow. The MyPillow 2.0 is cooler and softer than the last MyPillow. It is so comfortable to sleep on at night. I look forward to going to bed, and I wake up well rested in the morning. Sleep is all about temperature and height. MyPillow 2.0's patented adjustable fill is going to give you the exact individual support you need from your head to your bed. And now here's where it gets even better. We've all experienced those temperature-related sleep interruptions where you get too hot, you toss and turn, you flip your pillow over to the cool side. Well, all that's gone with my brand new MyPillow 2.0 cooling fabric that's made with temperature-regulating thread. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or a dempus for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. All the men to cheat. You picked John Kramer? The cancer is still spreading. I'm afraid there's nothing else we can do. There is one person who might be able to help. Our program is a two-pronged treatment outside Mexico City. The results have been stunning. She saved my life. You're in very good hands with us. After that, what happens then? Your whole life happens then. John Kramer. According to these scans, the tumor was never removed. How much time do I have? Months, at best. I still have a lot of work that needs to be done. Tended to cure me, but what I have planned for each of you is very real. Peace came upon me, no light, no 
The only thing I have not provided is your anesthetic. But trust me, you will want to remain alert. the men to cheat. You picked John Kramer? Please, don't hesitate. Place a big enough piece of your cerebral tissue into the glass enzyme tank. This will save your life. So this is not retribution. It's a reawakening. The choice is yours. And we are back. Rory Sauter and the news coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. Here with my guest, Judd Soul. So, Judd, I want to hear about this IRS movie, man. I uh, can't stand these cocksuckers. Uh, they are the devil. They get away with murder. Taxation is theft. We need to get rid of the IRS. Um, I've said it for a long time, and I'll and I'll keep saying it. M many have said it. I think it's wishful thinking, though. Unfortunately, yeah, it's uh, um, when we when we did the documentary. Um, what happened was, is uh, I got involved in, um, you know, in the Patriot movement, Tea Party movement, um, right. even in my local community and doing things. Yeah. And I started seeing um, the IRS attack conservatives and attack yeah. Tea Party groups and attack these organizations. A lot of people just kind of forgot about what happened then. But um, if you were to go to file for a nonprofit, let's say you wanted to create an educational uh, conservative educational institution, um, you wanted to do a, a file as a, as a C4 so you could accept donations, not tax deductible donations, but so you could ex uh, accept donations to pay for renting rooms, to pay for doing activities like any other union or other left wing organization would, would do. Uh, conservatives started organizing and applying for the same things. And what happened was, is the IRS would um, say, we're not going to grant you status uh, unless you send us your meeting minutes, send us a list of everybody attending your meetings, send us recordings of what's being discussed in your meetings. Now, why would the IRS, a tax collecting agency have any business asking for these types of things? They, and they were not just doing it to that. They were doing it to pro-life groups. They were doing it to uh, um, array of organizations that conflicted with the Obama administration's agenda. And they, they weren't granting tax statuses. And then in certain instances, people that really, uh, um, like true the vote, uh, poor Catherine Engelbrit, um, the FBI raided her husband's business. I mean, they raided her. They raided everything. They ran them through the ringer just because she wanted vote, voting accountability and started an organization to do voting accountability. Um, and we, we just, we decided to document what was going on and we put out a film called unfair exposing the IRS. 
And um, our solution to the IRS, and, and I still hold to this day, is what we call the fair tax. Which is, which is simply tax on all new goods bought. That's it. No income tax. No employment tax. No this tax because the basic, the basic income tax violates your, uh, uh, your uh, fourth, uh, fifth, and I can't remember the other amendment. Um, but it violates our amendments. Amen. Amen. In the Constitution. I mean, it, it violates. Because right. you you are you are guilty till proven innocent, according to the IRS. If they come after you, they garnish your wages, they arrest you, they make your life a living hell, and you have to work your way out of it. I know. Try to prove your innocence. Well, will we ever see the day where we could actually abolish the IRS? Because I will say I will say that in regards to the person that. If anybody's gonna do it, you know, and I and I and I voted for Trump twice, you know, but I will say, Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, has brought up many, many great points. He's got amazing policies. I agree with about eighty percent of what he says. Uh, I'm pro-life, uh, so his pro-choice stance is kind of an issue for me. But in regards to what he's saying about getting rid of the Federal Reserve, getting rid of the FBI, getting rid of the CIA, getting rid of, you know, uh, these sort of entities. Um, and I think he has talked about going after the IRS. Like I said, I think he could be the guy to do it. I, I think he has the balls and I think he is the, the he is like his uncle in the sense that he wants to expose as much corruption as possible and really go after these agencies. How, how do you, what do you think? I think, I, I think the, I think the system does need an overhaul. I think it totally needs an overhaul. Um, I haven't looked too much into Robert Kennedy uh, positions. So a lot of things he does say is good. I especially like his medical freedom stuff. Oh yeah. And you know, the way that he's, that he's talking about, um, yeah. you know, I'm just, I'm kind of watching everything uh, from a bird's eye view right. on, on where these uh, particular candidates are. But if, if somebody's going to come in, they have to come in uh, with a, you know, with a want to overhaul, but you're, it's an uphill battle. You have Republicans and Democrats that want status quo. And, and, and Judd, I will, I will say this: that r nobody has talked harder against Big Pharma uh, than Robert Kennedy Jr. I mean, this guy is really tackling that issue, and he, you know, he really wants to put Fauci in prison. I mean, that's one of his first priorities. Which I, I I don't I don't think he's lying about that. I actually think he's going to follow through. I think he would prosecute many of these people. And you know what? Like I said, I voted for Trump twice. I thought he did many great things, but I also thought he made a few mistakes. And I like to call balls and strikes. You yeah. know, not firing Fauci, uh, continuing the lockdowns, printing money. Uh, it you know in in, in a strong way. Uh, promoting the vaccines. He, he continuously says on interviews, he saved a hundred million lives with operation warp speed, which, it, you know, and then, like I said, the raising the debt, you know, printing money. Um, there was a lot of stuff oh, that happened. There was a lot of issues. I, don't, I mean, I'm not going to say a lot of issues, but there were, there were a few issues that were very large that could add up to several, 
small issues, if that makes sense. Correct. And people need to, people need to look at everything at not just what rhetoric is, look at actions. You have to look at what the actions are and you have to look at truth. Just because you're a fan of somebody, you're a fan of somebody in politics, you got to look at their track record. Right. You got to look at everything objectively. Right. And not buy into the cult of personality of a candidate. You have right. to look at the facts and look what has happened. Um, you know, and we as a country better get our better get it together. And don't get behind a cult of personality because Trump isn't going to learn his lesson. Right. If you're going to sit there and say, oh, no, no, you know, we love you. And what you did with the vaccines was OK. What you did with printing all this money and raising our deficit to trillions of dollars is OK. No, he's a politician. Just because you love him, you still have to hold him accountable. Right. You know, and I, I used to be one of those people when I, you know, mm -hmm. When I was young, you know, when he first got elected, I, I was a Trump can do no wrong type of guy. I would line up 24 hours before the rallies. I would be front row. Uh, I looked at the man uh, like a, a godly type figure. And and I, I know exactly what a lot of these people in, in this in this cult, you know, minded uh, group uh, are, 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 are going through what they're thinking, you know, with, with how they feel about Trump, how he, you know, is, is innocent every second, uh, you know, of the day he can do no wrong, you know, that there there's, and if you talk, if you say anything bad or if you, or if you say, if you call balls and strikes with them, they'll immediately call you, you know, a left wing Democrat, right. uh, they, you know, they don't want to acknowledge the operation warp speed. They don't want to acknowledge nope. the lockdowns. They don't want to nope. acknowledge not nope. firing Fauci. They don't want to acknowledge the printing of money. They don't want to acknowledge the raising of debt. But the, but but we but at the same time, I also tell these people. But at the but you're but they still tell me, oh no no man, you're not for Trump. I say he did many great things. I I'm not disagreeing that he did many great things. But we have to really call it like it is. We but, can't but like you said have these people that we look at and put on a pedestal and just say that, yes, yes, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're right. No. You're right. You're right. No, the, no, no. The, I mean, the, the look, president, at the power, the look at all the power he gave to Jared Kushner and look at all the people he had around him. I always said Trump's exactly. biggest weakness was the people he hired. Exactly. More, more hirings and firings in that administration than anything I've ever seen. Exactly. And that's that was and that was a major problem. The, the fact of the matter is, is they're politicians. Trump is a human being. And when he turned to politician, he is he's accountable to us. We're not accountable to him. Yeah, he's accountable he to us, to, to we the people. But that's any politician. The, the problem is, uh, Rory, is that we have such uncertain times, so much chaos going around us in this country that people fall into a cult of personality and they think this cult of personality is going to be the solution to all their problems. And they're looking to a human to be the solution to all their problems. And, and the very problem with all this is, is that the solution to all the problems is you in your circle of influence and the people and area and community around you where you can make the most difference. You can't project everything's going to say everything's going to be wonderful 
and save the country on one man, on one president, on one politician. The solution to the problem starts with you and starts at home. But it also the solution to the problem is we need to put our trust and faith in God and not a president or any politician that is flawed by human nature. And, you know, when he got to Washington, he didn't really drain the swamp. He surrounded himself with people like Lindsey. He he surrounded himself with people like Lindsey Graham, Paul Ryan, you know, all these people that backstabbed him. He's still out there at rallies with guys like Lindsey Graham, who are the worst human beings on the face of the earth. I've I've been in I've been in politics before Trump. I've been doing this stuff for 13 years. And he's taking money from all these big donors that he talks down upon for these other politicians taking money from. So he is being hypocritical. And I just don't like the petty attacks on on True Social where people that were loyal to him, like, you know, Kaylee McEnany, for for instance, his uh, ex-press secretary, who was there for him from start to finish, he goes out and attacks her because she, you know calls out, you know, stuff that he does wrong. You know, there are going to be people that are going to call out what he does wrong. And, you know, I mean, there also are going to be people that are going to have the mob sort of loyal mentality where they're never going to say anything about it. Well, that, that would be, that would be the base of support, but the peripheral around that base is uh, not where they were six years ago. It's not where they were eight years ago. Right. That the base, the base is looking at what Trump is doing. And the more Trump alienates himself from potential allies over petty issues, that whittles away his, that whittles away his support more and more and more and more. And that is the problem that is that Trump's biggest problem is his mouth. Yes. Trump's biggest problem is I think he's funny. I think he's funny. I think he's humorous, but but it, it fucks a lot of things up. But it going, really does. Excuse but going, my French. But but going and uh, I, I call it punching down, punching down, punching down to people that could be potential allies uh, uh, for your campaign and making fun of them because they disagreed with you on something somewhere and they made a public disagreement about it. Then he shames them. Well, you just alienated this group of people over here and this group of people over here, right. and. Talking tough is, is one thing and being having strength, which he which he shows a lot of strength in a lot of areas is great. Right. But he picks unnecessary fights where he doesn't need to that are not going to be- benefit him or his campaign. And Judd, you know, he always says and, and we have to call this out because, again, if anybody knows me, I was like with him from day one. And, you know, like I said, when Operation Warp Speed came around. I I really started getting turned off. Um, and, and, and here's another thing that really bugs me, and it should bug a lot of people. He has too much pride to come out and say that he was wrong about Operation Warp Speed and about not firing Fauci and about printing money. You know, that that's that's the problem. Well, like, like a human I, being. He re- look, go ahead. Look, look, I was in a room in Iowa. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I was a paid Trump videographer for one month in the state of Iowa. I yeah. was his campaign videographer Yeah. when he first started running for president. So I had to follow him all over the state. Yeah. And he, okay. and, 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 but okay. I was in a room, yeah. I was in a room where he was asked if he ever, uh, repented of his sins and asked God, 
repented of his sins and said he was sorry. And Trump said in the entire room, and this was this was at a faith based uh, uh, political kind of summit meeting, um, said, "Ah, no, I, I don't I don't feel I need to uh, I don't need to repent for my sins. I just try to try to do better later." So he, 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 he never feels the need to say he's sorry, let alone say he's sorry and repent to, to the Lord for his sins. And, and this, so the, the, and it sucked the air out of the room. And I was like, OK, I understand. I understand what we're dealing with here um, with Trump. Remember, I like him. Uh, I, I think he's done a lot of amazing things for the country. What I'm saying is, is that somebody who's incapable of apologizing for making a mistake, you need to watch out. And, you know, and I, you know, he'll call people like Ron DeSantis, the greatest governor, and then he goes and attacks him, calls him all these names. And, you know, you know, I'm not a fan of Nikki Haley. I, I, I can't stand her, but he hired her in, in, in his administration. Then he yeah, goes Nick, after her. Nick, he Nikki, goes after Nick, all these people. I mean, it's just... No, you, you want to talk about a globalist that look no further than Nikki Haley. Yeah. And people want to, and this is what I'm saying. He did not drain the swamp. He bought, brought in so many rhinos and think yeah. about Alexander Azar. One of the biggest pharmaceutical lobbyists in the industry comes in and runs the, uh, the, the, the day-to-day operations with Fauci and that whole scenario and Trump supporters, crickets, blind eye, just turn the blind, turn a blind eye to it. This is the this is the problem because Trump and and you know what a lot of people have this when they get that following they think they can pull some fastballs they think they can do things however they want whenever they want and, and people are just going to say yes it, yes it's okay it's okay well, you're right you know if if we if we want to make Trump because he gets player, that trust yeah. when you get that yeah. trust when you get that loyalty right. when you get that support. It's almost like for a while you're very dedicated to, to, to policy and fixing a lot of things. But when fuck ups happen, it's you don't you don't really, you know, it's like I don't want to say he didn't care, but it's almost like you, you get you get so carried away with other things like you, you already have this support. So mm -hmm. it's like. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to word it as best as possible, but I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah but what, what I would say is if, if people want to want to make him a better leader, they yeah. need to hold him accountable and they need to have the conversation. Say, Trump, no, you messed up. Apologize for it. And we'll forget. We'll for, forgive and move on. And, you know, tell us how you're going to undo that situation and what you did. You know, say I made a mistake firing. Fa I mean, I made a mistake hiring Fauci. I'll never do it again. Right. You know, we all learned. We all learned how deceptive it was. We'll move on. We'll do better. But he's not even doing that. And no. and but if we want to make him a better leader, people have to hold him accountable and they just can't blindly follow. You know, follow the cult of personality. We have we have to think objectively. No, and, you have to, and you have to search for real truth, not an echo chamber. It's true. It's true. And. You know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens in 2024. What would you make of yesterday's incident, you know, the courthouse? They're, they're, they're going to – they will push and do whatever they can. Um, uh, the left and, – and this is what this is what's so funny is the left uh, hates Trump for the wrong reasons. 
they, they, you know, I mean, they hate, they hate everything Trump says and does because of the great things that he has accomplished and the great things he wants to do for the country. And they hate him for it. Yeah. There's people on ice on our side that have trouble with Trump for the right reasons, but we want to do it to help, to help him become better and find the right person to, and, and find maybe get him to lead the country properly or find someone else that can lead, you know, that can do the job, but the left hates him for the wrong reasons. And so if you disagree with Trump on something, no, we're, we're, we disagree with Trump on some things for the right reasons. The left hates everything Trump is for the, <laughs> for the wrong reasons. We, you know, we disagree for the right reasons. The left hates everything he does for the wrong reasons. And, um, and it's not an either or black and white issue, folks. You have to think objectively and look at everything for what it is. Yeah, it's true. Uh, okay. go, go, going back to your second documentary, what was the yeah. biggest, like, you know, thing that you found out about the IRS that was so revealing, that was so corrupt, that was so dirty that you just couldn't even believe it? I mean, I'm uh, sure you no, could believe it, but just we, some, something that you were just like, wow, what the, what how, the. How, how, uh, um, how there's no accountability. There, there was, there's lack of accountability within the IRS. Once an agency becomes too big, uh, bureaucrats can run rogue and do whatever the hell they want to do. Um, one of the most interesting things was is that a rogue IRS agent, uh, there was a group that was called the National Organization for Marriage, which was fighting the whole gay marriage thing that was going on, right? Big, remember, big deal at the time back then. They were fighting gay Slippery marriage. Slippery slope. Look at where we're right, at now, right. man. We they, got trannies, got they chicks were, with dicks everywhere, man. The dangerous times, buddy. So, so, so what the scariest thing that we found out was is that a rogue IRS agent leaked all of the donors to that organization to the press. And then uh, the far left started attacking them, attacking their businesses. People got fired from, from their jobs because they donated to the national organization for marriage. It became a hit list for the left, but a rogue IRS agent leaked that information to the Washington post. So that's, they're, so that's weaponizing a government entity against somebody who diff, who has a different view of you politically and, and even on a moral issue. And that was, that that's really insane uh, that, uh, that they were able to go do that. Um, but that's one of the things that shocked me the most. And then after the fact, a couple of years later, we found out that uh, part of this um, IRS push and influence John McCain was involved with. Imagine that. John McCain was working with the Democrats in targeting conservative groups because he hated the Tea Party. He hated conservative Scumbag. organizations. So we watched, we what we saw, we found out that McCain was part of it. And, um, you know, and, and uh, Lois Lerner, I mean, she was complicit in it, but she essentially took the fall. She took the fall for a lot of stuff that was going on. And there, there's a lot more people that could have been implicated, but she was the one who took the hit. Um, it's, it's just evil. And she was doing she was doing what she was asked by McCain and other Democrats. Yeah. And you talk about the, the Washington Post. How much access do these media outlets have to the IRS? Have to all these other they, big agencies like the CIA, the yeah, FBI? They, they have, it's they almost have, like they're all connected. Yeah, they have they have people everywhere. And then 
And then during the process, so during making that movie, um, we were contacted by the FBI. The Holy FBI, moly, dude. What was that like, the, dude? The FBI wanted to meet with us to talk to us about our political beliefs. That's what they wanted to, dis- to discuss. They wanted to discuss our political beliefs. I'm like, going, it's none of your business what my political beliefs are. Like, you have no right to ask us this stuff. And then they kept on pushing and and, and going back and forth. And then we finally called uh, uh, Matt Staver um, from um, uh, Liberty Institute to uh, come to our aid and uh, contacted them. And they finally, the FBI finally left us alone. And then six months later, um, our bank account was, um, we got a notice from the bank saying that uh, um, you're no longer allowed to bank with us. We had a, we had a bank account with U.S. Bank uh, for our movie. And they took they took away our bank account. We had to close it out because they said they wouldn't do business with us. And we found out that that was part of a Obama operation called Operation Warp Speed. So they were going to financial institutions and telling people not to have bank accounts for conservative uh, causes. And that lasted about three or four months when the banks did that. Then they retracted, and then uh, you know, and then things kind of went back to normal because a whole bunch of heat came on them. But that happened to us, too. We were part of Operation Warp Speed. Wait. So so explain a little more. Explain this a little more. Uh, so you're so essentially you, you're doing business and we had our we had our film account. In U.S. Bank and they shut us down. They, they like said, you can have a bank account here. And, and you did meet with the FBI. Uh, we talked to them. We didn't I did not meet them face to face because I knew right away. Uh-huh. Not to meet him face to face and do this, but they called us and we had many conversations back and forth and everything else. I was like, we're not playing this game. We get, we got our attorney involved and then they, and after a while they finally backed off, but it was for intimidation. I mean, that's really all it was. It was for intimidation. And they're doing this to a lot of people. You're not the only one, man. No, no, no. They're, they're doing this all over the country. How does this shit stop, man? This is absolutely Unex- unexcusable, unacceptable. There is no reason for this shit. I mean, obviously no. they have their reasons, but this is our founding fathers would be rolling over in their grave right now. Well, they are. They are. They are rolling over in their graves, and it, it's just it, it's chaos. But I mean, a major cleanup has to happen. But the thing is, is is uh, um, the. The country as a whole, not just the right. The right can't just say, okay, we're going to take over and dominate and everything's going to go our way. People actually have to come together as a nation and say enough is enough. Because a weaponized government against any any disagreement ideologically is not good. A weaponized government going after this is not good. They're doing it to us now. If Republicans get it, and we have to get away from the mentality of, oh, you got us this time. When we get power, we're going to come back and get you. We cannot have this polarization back and forth because this is actually what the far left wants. They don't want a unified nation. They want a divided nation because when they get a divided nation, we are all going to suffer. And we have to be very careful on how we address these things and how we, and we got to find ways to work together. Obviously the left is absolutely insane in a lot of things, but they're about 20% of the Democrats, but they're bullying and running the party. There are other people in the middle. There are independents that will come back to sanity, but we have to start stop this tit for tat. I'm you punch me, I'm going to punch you back twice as hard stuff, because that's what's ripping us apart. And when you release this IRS film, 
what um, what what was the reaction like from the audience? Uh, they loved it. They were shocked. They were shocked. They uh, and, but they loved it. They loved the film. How did it do? Did it do good? Um, we did moderately moderately successful. Um, uh, <laughs> it was very hard to raise money for a political documentary and get the marketing money to put it out there, especially when you're taking on an entity like the IRS. Dude, that takes balls. That takes bravery. People are scared. People are very scared to help push that. Um, But we did the one day event in theaters nationwide. We did the fathom event. Uh, We had a lot out there. We sold a lot of DVDs and um, people can find it. Uh, Well, and then we were doing okay on Amazon and uh, uh, for a while, but then we got shadow banned. Oh wow! And, and, and how long did that? How long did this movie take? Uh, that took two years to make. Oh my god! And how did you travel for this one? Oh yeah, traveled all over the country. How many different countries for this one? Well, no different country. It was just IRS, so we stayed in the U.S. But I mean, oh, you stayed all, in the U.S. Yeah. yeah. So all, you went to, did you go to every different. state? Uh, it was Texas, California, Washington D.C. Uh, Mississippi, Alabama. I mean, we we went all over the country for it. Wow, man! New York. Um, yeah, uh, even pro-Israel organizations were uh, were being targeted because it it kind they they wouldn't grant a tax status to a pro-Israel organization because it violated Obama's policy on Israel. Oh wow! Did <laughs> you, wow! Did you compare? Uh, like the in the IRS we have here in our country compared to how they do it in other countries was was that ever something you ever researched? Uh, no, we didn't do we didn't we didn't do that part in the film. Uh, there's only so much you can do in an hour and a half. Um, right. More the main thing we focused on was telling the stories about what was happening to people. That's the thing is right. you, you go to people who've been abused by the IRS and and what's going on and then we tell their story. Right, no, just in general though, just yeah. not in the film. But have you ever researched that, like how that how it operates in other countries? Like we have the IRS, and like what 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 is the cur- curriculum and the system in some of these other countries? Um, it's worse. It's worse in other countries. Like like even if you go to the UK and stuff. Yeah, it's worse in UK. It's worse in Canada, and the the and how much they're taxed and what they're taxed on is insane. In the UK, I mean, your your average person's paying between 50, 60% of their income in taxes. And Canada's like 60%, isn't yeah. it? Canada's now nearly 60% of your income. <laughs> is, is in taxes. It's, it, it, is, it is completely insane. It, it's not. Dude, how is this no. even sustainable? How is this sustainable? It's not. The socialist, the socialist will go after and denigrate productivity. They'll do anything they can to attack productivity. And when you were going to talk to these people in each of these states, like what kind of reactions were like, explain, were the, explain the interaction, kind of explain as, the back and forth. As, as, as we were t- getting their stories and, and talking to them, they were horrified. I mean, they were in tears. They like, I, they couldn't believe their country had devolved this much into doing this. These are old, these are grandpas and grandpas, you know, people trying to do the right thing, you know, just regular citizens who want to stand up and uh, get involved in politics and the the federal government's punishing them for it. And I mean, is, is abolishing the IRS something you, you think we'll see in our lifetime? 
Never. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm practical in looking at things. No, no, it won't be abolished. It'll probably get worse. We just got 80,000, 87,000 armed agents, armed agents that are coming in over the next, uh, six years. Um, no, it's, it's not going to go away. It's going to get worse. But even if we have conservative leadership, you, you don't think we can kind of eliminate that? Nope. They don't, they don't have the guts to do it. But what if we get somebody that, that gets in there and really takes care of business and starts because, because it goes, because it goes down to Congress and it goes down to the Senate. Do you think any of them have the, have the spine to do anything? No. Right. I mean, I, t- no, I I'll tell don't. you stuff. Oh, go ahead. They, I'm saying when it boils down to it, you, you know, you can have a leader that a president wants to do as much as they can. And then you have a Congress and Senate you have to work with. These guys have been in there for 50 years. Some of them 50 years in Congress and Senate. And, and we, oh, go ahead, keep going. Sorry. No, and 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 they are a part of they are part of the problem and part of, uh, part of the swamp. And we're taught and we're told that executive order is dictatorship, to, you know, style. But I think that has to happen sometimes with with this conservative with this conservative, uh, you know, presidents. You know, the, these Republican presidents like. Trump should have done more executive orders. I mean, if they, if the Senate and the Congress are compromised, something has to be done about that. I mean, we can't rely on these people. They are so bought and paid for. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, but that's, that's where we're at right now. But if we get in, but here's the thing, I got to warn, if we get into dictator level executive orders and all this authority, put that in the wrong hands, what happens? It'll go both sides. Then when Democrats get power, the Democrat president gets power, he'll start doing it and they'll start using white candy. Right. That's where the problem lies. And we have to get away from this. We have to get back to a unified country. I know we're so polarized right now, but we have to get back to unity. Otherwise, we're not going to survive. We're going to become a balkanized nation. How many films have you made? Uh, So I did Unfair Exposing the IRS. Then in uh, 2015, I did a film called Enemies Within, uh, which exposed uh, 80 congressmen, 20 senators, their ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, and far left wing radical groups. Wow, dude, were they all Democrat? Yeah, yeah, they're all Democrat. And we we exposed the fact that um, if you're elected to Congress and or Senate, um, you don't need security clearance. You you don't there's when you're an elected official, you have no security. You do not need to get any type of security clearance to get access to serious intel and information uh, as a congressman or senator. So you don't think our enemies would exploit that? They have exploited it. We and and it's been proven time and time and again. But we expose how Democrat uh, senators and congressmen are at Muslim Brotherhood meetings are at our keynoting communist, actual communist party meetings, keynoting communist party meetings and how they get their directives and policies from communist party USA and how uh, some of the Muslim friendly congressmen get their directives from actual Muslim brotherhood, which is a terrorist organization, um, uh, get their briefs and white papers and policies directly from them. And, did you get a, an FBI visit for making that film like you did to the prior one with the IRS? Because I imagine no. uh, going after a lot I, I, of these high-end officials is a, it's a big deal. No, no, because I think um, they tried making fun of us. 
They tried, I mean, they real tried making fun of us. So they, they laughed it off and they laughed off or called it propaganda, theory. conspiracy theory, all right. that shit, right? Because, because if they tried coming after us, that would have drawn more attention to what we were doing. Right. And so at the time we put, we put the film on Amazon prime mm-hmm. and we had 1.6 million streams of our film. Holy moly. And when it hit peak and we were doing really well, we got shadow banned. Wow. Well, that's usually what so, happens. Yeah. So, so, so meaning is when I say shadow ban, so folks understand this, the film is still on Amazon prime. Right. I can send you a link to the film so you could watch it on Amazon prime. But right. if you go to search for it, you're not going to find it. If you man. type in our film, you dirty. cannot find it on Amazon prime. Dirty, dirty, man. So and dirty. Our, our, our views went from 10, 20, 30,000 a month to 10, 20. Overnight. It's craziness. You know, we, we really have to do something about this whole big tech censorship. It's really out of control. It's, um, well, it's, it's, it's very real, but you know, uh, you know, the average, average American does not understand what shadow banning is until it happens to them, but mainstream media won't cover it. They're not really standing up to, uh, for the rights of Americans and documenting it. And instead the mainstream media shames people like us for making such a film. Right. And I've been in technology for about 10 years and I build apps, apps for a living, and I build all sor- sorts of different technology, artificial intelligence, blockchain. I can do anything. So I built uh, recently and launched them two new media networks because uh, independent media is the future. And on our networks, we have several different shows. And mm-hmm. um, I'm happy where, where everything's headed. We're, we're moving way quicker than I ever uh, anticipated and yeah. thought. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's fun though. It's a lot of fun and more and more people are utilizing their voice and getting heard. And this is, this is what we need. Mainstream is too compromised. It's too compromised. It's low ratings. Um, and I got banned from Twitter. I had a large following on Twitter. Uh, I got banned from Instagram and a large following on Instagram. I got banned from LinkedIn, large following on LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook banned me for two months from streaming. So I just deactivated my Facebook. I'm like, what's the fuck of, what's the point of even having this? Excuse my French. But but, you know, I just, I'm just sick of it. But anyways, long story short, I'm coming out with a new social media app that will be released in about three weeks. And it's a cross between a Facebook and a Twitter. And uh, it's, it's taken a few months to build, but uh, we have investors behind us and, I've done all the engineering work, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the project. So this is, this is what we have to do. There's no yeah. winning. There's no winning with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. At the end of the day, they're always going to have control of the algorithm. They're always going to be able to skew it to their advantage. They're not going to let people yeah. like us get the exposure or the recognition that we deserve. And it, it so happens- people have to build their own platforms. I, I knew I had to build my own social media. So can't mm-hmm. wait for people to see it. It's called Roar, R-O-A-R. It's my nickname. And uh, it's also like making a statement. Like when you roar, like think about, think about, think about it, like roaring, like a lion, like, mm-hmm. like Twitter's like tweeting. This is like roar, like roaring, you know, when you're putting out something. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'll look, look forward to seeing that and checking yeah. that out. Yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting, uh, 
uh, career in life. But then uh, I did one more film. And after that, and that was called Enemies Within the Church. And we were going oh, after the social justice uh, uh, CRT push happening in churches and institutions across America. And we named the names, the institutions, the people doing it, and dropped a big hammer on them. Well, so so wait, I want I want to go back real quick. <laughs> yeah. What what was the reaction like uh, in regards to from critics? Did you get much critics from the uh, exposing these politicians? Uh, get- yeah, we got we got lots. What we got critics, and like the the only thing they would say is, um, you know. You're lying. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're wrong. You're blah, 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 blah. And I say, okay, where in the film are we wrong? Show me, show me, give me a timestamp and show me where we're wrong. I challenge any Democrat out there. Where are we wrong on our timestamp? Yeah. And and none of them could, none of them ever will. None of them. And our ratings are essentially this. All five-star and Democrats come in and give us a one-star rating. There's no in-between. It's a five-star or a one-star. The Democrats started flooding our thing on IMDb and giving us a one-star rating, and the rest would give us a... And then people that watched the film gave us a five-star. But we challenge them. We challenge them all over the place. Where are we wrong? Show me. Show me the timestamp on where we're inaccurate. How did we get it wrong? We'd be happy to correct it. But we knew we were right. And what about within the church? Talk about that. Well, there's a major shift happening in churches all across America. Uh, virtually uh, every seminary uh, teaching pastors right now has adopted some form of critical race theory, teaching social justice uh, as a part of Christianity, and they're they're teaching our new young pastors to become woke. Yeah, and we have all this LGBTQ garbage being embraced. And, and, and so that's... In left-wing institutions, what we focused on were the what people think are conservative institutions. Right. The Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination uh, in, in the United States, going after what's happening with uh, the conservative Presbyterians, what's happening in the Assemblies of God, and, and all these other major seminaries and institutions that are supposed to be conservative Christian institutions that have now started adopting left-wing ideology and and are they being compromised are they being paid to do this stuff i mean obviously it's all part of a huge corporation i feel like that are putting this out go ahead well uh, this is how it works uh how we've seen it work is with a lot of seminaries and institution it comes in the form of uh large grants that at, at first glance seem to be okay fairly neutral but once you get attached to the grant and more money comes in, then that grant purpose starts shifting. And so to keep the money flowing from the grant, then they start to have to compromise on some of their teachings and start adding some classes that are very questionable. Like diversity, equity, inclusion all of a sudden is now part of this grant that a long time ago was built for business and entrepreneurship. Business and entrepreneurship grant now turns into DEI. And so, I mean, how, how do we, like, in regards to these churches, is it just going to keep getting worse, or do you think it's going to yeah. get better? Oh, no, no, no. Because what, what, what is happening is, just like you see everywhere else, is that a lot of these seminaries um, are turning out people, and they're, they're weaponizing um, 
these young impressionable minds going into seminaries thinking they're going to be a pastor and learn about God. Now they're turning them into socialist activists as part of their calling as being a pastor. And then these guys get hired into a conservative church and then they end up blowing it up. No, and in here I got to ask you, you, you see all these people trying to come in and reinvent the fundamentals and the yes. Bible and yes. the curriculum. And yes. it's not that they want to be there. It's not that they, it, it's, it's that they want to basically force the, them do it be them they want to force the church to accept them they want to force but and it's like th this ideology was written at the beginning of time i mean you can't just come in and and try to hijack something that isn't yours and we but, but, are encouraging this in the mainstream media right but they're, they're and then we're called bigots if we tell these people to go away right. but if we if, if if a christian goes into a gay community we're called the worst names ever. So yeah. I think it's fascinating how it's such a double standard. They, 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 they are taught to take advantage of our Christian charity, our Christian forgiveness, and they weaponize that against us. They weaponize that against us. So they, 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 they uh, abuse the relationship that you have. They abuse your forgiveness. They take advantage of your charity. And then they turn it around and gaslight you when all of a sudden they reveal who they really are. And I have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches blow up because they let in a woke preacher into their church that then took everything and blew up everything that took a hundred years to build. And it took him five, it took him two, three years to, to destroy everything, ruin the entire church. I've seen this time and time and time again, and it's happening all over America. And was that your final film, the, the within the churches? Was that your latest? That was that was the latest film that I did, and um, and then during all this time, I'm doing all these films. Um, I started going to Nigeria and doing missions work. Yeah. And uh, um, and uh, three years ago, because of all the persecution happening against Christians by a. Uh, happening to Christians uh, by radical Muslims in Nigeria, um, I decided to dedicate most of my time to setting up a mission and helping people in Nigeria while still fighting a war here in the U.S. <laughs> right. And what was the biggest corruption that you saw while making this film within the churches, if you had to name one thing? I, I know you kind of went through various things you um, discovered, but if you had to take away one thing that was like, like, just like I asked with the last films, that was so revealing that you were just like, wow. Um, the biggest, like I said, the biggest thing was, is how the church, Christians in general in the United States emasculated themselves against the culture war. And, uh, and giving in, and and giving in, or not just wanting to engage, right? And that left a major vacuum uh, uh, for the enemy to come in, especially with younger Christian uh, teens and college kids. With this major culture shift and culture war happening, there is no one there to actually address and to counteract the arguments from the pulpits as to what the kids are seeing in their schools and all around them in culture. And, and, okay, and, the, and, the, and the biggest corruption is, is that 
good men who should know better have taken money directly from left-wing organizations to fund their conservative seminaries and have compromised everything. Yeah, and how this is a big problem too that we really need to talk about, like the Joel Osteens of the world. <laughs> how do we get these damn people out of the religious circle? Because religion has become a lot about money, and, and that's one of the main reasons we're looked down upon is because of people like Joel Osteen. I could name millions of those people that are oh, out it, there right it, now spreading uh, and spewing all this bullshit. It's it's not it's not it's not Christianity what they're spewing. It's not Christianity. It is, it is a, it is a, a twisted version uh, that looks like Christianity on the very, very, very tiny surface. But if you actually get into the scriptures, everything that they are doing is heretical and uh, it, you know, is not okay, but they've turned Christianity into a, um, uh, well, if, let, let's just be honest. Okay. So, and I'll tell you exactly where this came from is, uh, uh, Peter Drucker and these gurus in marketing found a genius way to take the church and, and, and apply secular marketing tactics to churches. Okay. And they invented the mega church model and it was a business model. It was a business model. So they, they turned like self-help, self-help motivational speaking uh, practices and applying all that to a church atmosphere. Okay, so, and then you create these mega churches where you're telling everybody, come to church and we'll make you feel good every Sunday. We're going to give you a positive, uplifting message. Not talk about sin, not talk about really how to better, how to really change your life, commit to God and better yourself. We're going to make it all a self-help sermon. And um, it became a multi-billion dollar industry. There's, there's now the biggest problem with, Christianity in America right now is we have a big difference between what we call Christian industry, which we refer to in, in our groups as big Eva versus Christian ministries. And there's a big difference between Christian industry and Christian ministry. The Christian industry is a for profit entity of Christianity in America. And it is an industry that, th that thrives and just keeps churning out books and speakers and mega churches and lots of organizations underneath it. It's a multi-billion dollar industry and it's not a ministry. It's, it's fascinating stuff, man. And, and you know, you know I, I said, I said, I may burn every bridge I have, uh, you know, at the end of it all and, and do a movie called evangelical horrors with a W and and uh and out everything that i know and all the all the charlatans behind closed doors and what goes on um but that'll be for another day um what, what do you think though about what hasn't been revealed i mean do you think there's so much over time over time that will come out yeah no i i know i know for a fact i know for a fact that there's a lot that's going to happen uh over time and a lot's going to come out why because the men that built the megachurch empires and built what we now know as Big Eva and the Christian industry, the founders of these ministries and the founders of this movement are starting to die. How do you feel about, ta about churches being tax-exempt? Do you think a lot of people, especially in this oh. industry, take advantage of that scenario? Oh, I think they totally take advantage of that scenario, but however, I'm not a proponent of taxing churches. 
um, because biblically speaking. So how do we, and I'm not either, I'm not either, I'm not either, but how do we kind of, how do we fix the problem of the taking advantage? Because it, it really is quite something. It, it is, uh, it is, it, it is quite something, but at the end of the day, um, these guys wouldn't be successful if people would just open up their Bibles and read things, read the Bible for themselves and seek, uh, seek a true shepherd in Christ. I mean, like I said, 80% of pastors out there, what I've come to realize probably are not real pastors. They're, they're hirelings. They're not really in it to shepherd their flock and teach what the Bible says. They're in it for a career and a vocation. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to go revert back to Nigeria. When I first went to Nigeria, this is what shook up my entire worldview in life is because I see Christians in Nigeria that are willing to die for their faith. They wake up every day. They don't have much. They don't have a pot to piss in. They don't have running water. They don't have effective electricity. They're some of them are sleeping on dirt floors, but they wake up every day relying on God uh, for for how He's going to provide for them that day. And yet they have this threat of Islam that wants to come kill them, and they're ready to die for their faith. How many how many Christians do you know in the U.S. that are ready for that? That would die for their faith give up everything they own, everything they have for their faith. Not very many. And, and how, how do we talk about the biggest target in today's society is the white Christian conservative male? I mean, if don't that's, you think that's, 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 all, that's only in the U S no, I'm talking about here, but that, that's yeah. something I wanted to ask you. And I'm sure that's been on your mind mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. I feel like we're, 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 you know, presented and targeted with the most racism, with the most hate, with the most bigotry. I mean, cause we're easy targets in the, in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, <laughs> I get, I get hate mail from people for doing a mission in Nigeria, helping people that are starving and, uh, risking their lives and people that have been wounded and trying to rebuild things. I get hate mail from, from the left calling me. I just want to do this because I have a white savior complex. I just, I just want to help Nigerians because I want to be the white person that saves black people. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm trying to help fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that actually need to need food so they don't starve to death. Um, and the Lord put me in that position. But, but the, 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 the problem is this is only happening in America. Right. Like this idea, this push, all this talk, all this nonsense is only happening in the U.S. This does not help and it happen elsewhere. And. Right. And it is a lie from the pit of hell. Um, and it's actually and the same mentality. Those talking points are coming from the social justice warriors infiltrating the seminaries. Yeah. They're, they're, they're actually saying people, pastors are saying white Christianity is bad. We need to get away from whiteness and Christianity. I'm like going, uh, last time I looked, Christianity is, uh, has no color, has no, uh, there, there is no color to this. It is, uh, it was started by Jews. It spread throughout Africa. We have, <laughs> you know, uh, and they have to attack. They have to attack this part of our society. This is the last bastion that they have to attack. They've got the media. They got education. They got our politics. They have everything else. But if you attack the church, and this is the way they're doing it, and why they're saying white Christian, and why they're going after that, because it's another way to put a ticking time bomb into what used to unite us as a country, 
was our Christianity. Yet we'd have different denominations, but it was another unifier we had in the country. So this is another way for them to put division within America once again, and even within religious institutions, and and destroy it. Everything social justice, critical race theory, all this, everything that this touches is a ticking time bomb waiting to blow things up. And everything it touches, it blows things up if we accept it and accept the premise. Right. And, and you know, what really drives me nuts, you know, um, and I got to let you go here in a few here in like the next two minutes or so. And I've, I love talking to you. I could talk to you all day. Um, you know, what you're doing with the mission, I, I think is phenomenal, but what drives me nuts is they don't talk about the persecutions enough of Christians over where, where you're, uh, giving assistance. And this is happening, not just there, it's happening in the middle East. It's happening all over the place. And a lot, a lot of times it's just crickets, you know, on our side, we don't talk about it. We don't try to, you know, give these people support and these people don't have a lot of resources. And some of the, you know, these people over there are some of the most religious people on earth. Yeah. And they're, they're They're, they're more dead. Like, I, I don't think enough people understand, like these people over there are more dedicated to faith than more than anybody else anywhere else. I mean, it, you can't, you can't make this up. And you want to know something crazy is that my, my Nigerian brothers and sisters and people that yeah. I work with tell me all the time, they're saying, we see what's going on in America and we're praying for you. Yeah, exactly. They have terrorists, they have terrorists at their back door, but they're right. praying for us because they see the insanity that's happening here in the U S and, um, you know, they need all the help they can get. And the, the fact of the matter is I'll go back to the Christian industry. Um, I went uh, to a major convention trying to raise awareness about what's going on in Nigeria. 90% of all Christian persecution deaths occurred in Nigeria last year. Massacred. Little kids macheted to death. Old people burned alive. Mothers shot. This is, this is what's going on in Nigeria. And, uh, um, Essentially, uh, Big Eva says, well, if you want to get word out about what's going on, you've got to pay us. Like, no one volunteers and magically wants to have us on their shows and promote what we're doing unless there's a lot of money that comes with it. And uh, that's why I'm out here right now. I'm trying, you know, getting word out about, you know, what I've done and word out about what we're doing with the mission. But it's, but this is the sad state of where we are. It's terrible, man. It's freaking terrible. I feel bad. I feel horrible. And I, like how how long? I don't think I asked you how long have you been doing this mission stuff over there? Uh, since 2011. Uh, it's been 12 years now. And have you guys raised a lot of money and helped a lot of people? I'm sure you have. Um, well, we we I start well I started our organization three years ago because I saw a lot of people talking about the problem, raising money for the problem, but the money's not going to Nigeria. It's not really helping Christians on the ground. Right. So I wanted to start an organization that actually helps Christians on the ground in Nigeria instead of just talking about the issue. And yeah. uh, so since we've started, uh, we've been able to touch over 500,000 lives. Um, we've built an orphanage. Uh, we've uh, uh, we have a school that we've uh, built for uh, uh, for an IDP camp that serves 300 kids. We pay for everything, all education paid for uh, by us and their uniforms. And uh, we run regular medical interventions every month with people who've been attacked. And we respond to attacks within 48 hours. So after a village is attacked, we're there with food, aid, and medicine uh, trying to help these people 
get into a place where they have shelter and food so they can live. And, um, uh, it's, it's what we've been, what we've been working on. And, uh, for the short amount of three years, I I can't believe how far we've gotten, but we got a long way to go. And the other thing that makes us controversial, because I, me, I always do something controversial is, uh, we train village security teams, how to protect themselves. We train them on security awareness and, and come up with a plan to evacuate or put up a first line of defense so they can save lives. And no one has ever done that before. Right. And before you, before you go, um, your award, award, you won an award for one of your documentaries. Explain that real quick before you go. Oh, it was with, uh, <laughs> that was with our video game documentary. I said, we did festivals all over the place. Yeah. Um, got best documentary award at the international film festival. Um, we, uh, uh, that went everywhere, but that was my first documentary and that just, you know, one thing leads to another. And, but like I said, I had a come to Jesus moment where I said, I'm done with all this, just the secular stuff. I'm going to put everything into a, to a cause where I can hopefully change things. Amen, man. Amen. And I know you're an entrepreneur. Any upcoming projects you want to announce? Anything you're working on? Primarily, I'm focused on Nigeria because we have such a huge thing going on out there and uh, uh, the attacks have increased. And uh, politically speaking, I'll just say this. uh, The Biden administration has made things worse in Nigeria. They took Nigeria off a terror watch list. They quit um, applying uh, funds and personnel to help fight terrorism in Nigeria. And things have gotten worse. Is there another war going to break out over there? Uh, It's very potential. If if uh, if U.S. does not intervene and get involved, uh, there will be a civil war. And I know you haven't made a film since 2018. Are you going to make another one soon? Well, I did Enemies Within the Church. So that was in uh, 20, uh, 2021 is when we released that. Oh, what what was the 2018 film? The tw- uh, tw- Well, there's a... 2015 film, which was Enemies Within. Then we did Enemies Within the Church. That took three and a half years to make. Oh, so okay. I, we started production on that in 2018. Released that in, uh, no, November of 2020 is when we released that. Got then, Yeah, sorry. And then uh, next film, uh, we have a few things on the docket uh, that we're looking at possibly doing, but primarily my mission right now is, is Nigeria. Amen, amen. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get involved. EquippingThePersecuted.org. EquippingThePersecuted.org is where they can find out about the mission. You can look up our films uh, online. Go to type in Enemies Within the Church, uh, Enemies Within Movie with Judd Saul, Trevor Loudon. You can check all that stuff out. And uh, I hope it wakes you up a little bit. Even people watch people that watch our films now even say it's still relevant what we said back then today, and they learn a lot. What was it like working with Trevor Loudon? Was that awesome? He ruined my life. <laughs> he, he's, he's the ultimate commie hunter. He's a commie savant. He knows everything about left-wing activities and where everything's happening and going. And he taught me, he, t- <laughs> he taught me what is all going on. And once you get the red pill from Trevor, you can't wake up from it. You cannot right. go back to, to living your life the way, you know, the way it used to be. We, we interviewed KGB agents, former KGB agents and all these people that Trevor had all these connections with. And I'm, when you know how the sausage is really made, you can't go back. Right. Right. All right, Judd. Well, pleasure having you, man. We'll be, we'll have you back soon. Uh, we're going to be right back everybody with Murray Sabrin. Uh, take a quick commercial 
Uh, stay with us. Thanks. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. I'm still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. My pillow 2.0. <gasps> wow, it's so soft and smooth. It's cool to the touch. How did you do that? Well, we took my pillow's patented bill and combined it with this new technology that we didn't have back then when I invented my pillow to bring you the best pillow in history, MyPillow 2.0. Just like all of you, I never imagined that MyPillow could get any better. That's why I haven't changed it in nearly 20 years. Then I heard about a revolutionary new technology and I knew I had to bring it to you all. MyPillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of MyPillow. The MyPillow 2.0 is cooler and softer than the last MyPillow. It is so comfortable to sleep on at night. I look forward to going to bed and I wake up well rested in the morning. Sleep is all about temperature and height. MyPillow 2.0's patented adjustable fill is gonna give you the exact individual support you need from your head to your bed. And now here's where it gets even better. We've all experienced those temperature-related sleep interruptions where you get too hot, you toss and turn, you flip your pillow over to the cool side. Well, all that's gone with my brand new MyPillow 2.0 cooling fabric that's made with temperature-regulating thread. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Coffee. I get products all the time from entrepreneurs for my new platform, MyStore.com. And when I tried my coffee for the first time, I was blown away. It is the best coffee I've ever had in my life. I spent the last four months doing my due diligence and this family owned business micromanages every step from the fields to the cup to ensure the best quality coffee you're ever gonna have. It starts with the beans that are grown in Honduras. Honduras's volcanic soil and humid climate make the perfect growing conditions for coffee plants, which produce the best beans ever. Then each batch is tested for its aroma, taste, and other aspects to meet the highest standards in the coffee industry. And after that, it goes into production, which is all done right here in the USA. It's like you're getting that small batch specialty coffee, but delivered right to your front door. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen, use the promo code, and you'll get your very own My Coffee for 25% off. You guys all know that I've traveled the country for the past year and a half. I've stayed in hundreds of hotels. I've tried every coffee out there. Well, some of the coffees have that terrible aftertaste, some that leave me jittery, or I get an upset stomach. Well, my coffee is different. It's the richest, smoothest, best coffee I've ever had. My coffee comes in a variety of flavors. You get them ground or whole bean, plus it's certified organic and non-GMO. I guarantee it'll be the best coffee you've ever had. So go to mystore.com or call the number on your screen. Use your promo code and you'll get my coffee for 25% off. 
and I'm going to give you deep discounts on all my store products. That's mystore.com. It's my new platform for USA entrepreneurs. Please order now. Just like that, a moment turns romantic. So why pause to take a pill? And when you're having fun, why stop to find a bathroom? With Cialis for daily use, you don't have to plan around either. It's the only daily tablet approved to treat erectile dysfunction, so you can be ready anytime the moment is right. Plus, Cialis treats the frustrating urinary symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently, day or night. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain or adempus for pulmonary hypertension, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any symptoms of an allergic reaction, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Why pause the moment? Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use. And for a $200 savings card, go to Cialis.com. And we are back. Rory Sauter and the news coming to you live from Palm Springs, California. My next guest, I'm really glad he's joining us. We have Murray Sabrin. First time on the show. Murray, how are you, man? Murray, you with us? Murray, you there? lives are the sum of our choices. Murray, are you with us? Murray. How are you? Hey, Murray Sabrin, joining us for the first time. It's an honor to have you here, sir. Uh, first and foremost, give us a bio, a background, how it all started for you, all that fun jazz. Well, in two days, it'll be my, uh, see, 74th anniversary of coming to America when I was a two and a half year old. Uh, I came here with my parents and older brother from West Germany, uh, where I was born in 1946. My parents were the only ones who survived the Holocaust. My father was a commander in the Polish underground uh, in charge of 20, 30 people uh, repelling the Nazis until he was liberated by the Soviet army in uh, in July of 1944, and then uh, effectively the war was over for him a year before the hostilities ended in Europe in, uh, I guess, the summer of 1945. Uh, we uh, came to America in um, August of 1949, uh, and uh, we moved to uh, the Lower East Side of Manhattan. We stayed there for a few years and moved to the West Bronx, where I grew up um, through uh, elementary school, junior high school, high school and college. Um, went to the Bronx High School of Science in the 1960s, which at the time, I believe, was the top public academic high school in the country. And I was privileged to get there because there was a very uh, strong entrance exam to get in. And then I went to Hunter College uh, in the Bronx, where I studied uh, history, geography, and social studies education. My goal was to be a social studies teacher. I wasn't interested in law at the time or uh, dentistry or... or uh, or medicine, and uh, but my original thought was becoming an architect. And then when I took a mechanical drawing class in high school, I wasn't very good at it, so I decided to change gears. 
and uh, started teaching in New York City public schools in 1968, well before you were born. And uh, that was a very difficult year. If you go into the public education history of New York City, that was the year of the big teacher strike over decentralization and how uh, the schools should be governed. And um, it was a very contentious strike. As a brand new teacher, I, uh, I uh, stayed out because uh, the administrators, one of them told me it would, it would be better for my career if I stayed out of, uh, if I stayed out of the school and not strike than uh, go in. And so I, I, I stayed out of uh, stayed on strike for about uh, two months. We went back in November, and um, I, as you know, what happened in November of uh, I'm sorry of 1968, it was uh, Johnson withdrew from the uh, presidential nomination in 1968. Uh, Martin Luther King was uh, killed in April of 1968. Bobby Kennedy was killed in June of 1968, and Hubert Humphrey lost to Richard Nixon in that uh, election, which um, was supposed to end the Vietnam. Uh, Nixon said he had a secret plan to end the Vietnam War, which of course didn't happen until after he resigned in 1974. So my worldview was growing up in New York City, uh, the bastion of liberal uh, philosophy is my father was a Democrat, so I was a Democrat. And I cast my first vote for president in 1968 for Hubert Humphrey. And that was the last, uh, the first and last time I voted for a Democrat in 1968. And so uh, I started uh, researching uh, history, economics, philosophy, and I came across the libertarian philosophy in the late 60s, early 70s, and that's all described in my memoir, From Immigrant to Public Intellectual and American Story, where I go through my philosophical journey from the time of the 1960s, the turbulent 1960s, to the early 70s, and I've been a libertarian ever since. And in my memoir, I discussed um, my first run for office as a libertarian for, uh, for governor of the state of New Jersey in 1997. Um, I was the first third party candidate to raise enough funds to get the matching funds from the state. And I was in three debates with the incumbent Republican governor and the Democratic challenger. And although I didn't win, there was no expectation of winning. Um, we had an impact on public policy, like raising the uh, speed limit to 65, uh, getting automobile insurance uh, reform done by deregulating the market a few years later when uh, Jim McGreevy, the Democratic uh, candidate, won the, the, the governorship in 2001 and basically implemented my plan for automobile insurance reform. And we also struck a blow, Rory, for free speech. Um, in uh, October 1997, I came home one day and there was a little note in my mailbox from the sergeant in, of, of the police force in the town I was living in, in northern New Jersey, saying, you violated sex and, such and such section of the uh, code because you have a political sign on your own property. So our campaign attorney went to uh, the court. The Superior Court judge threw it out. And now um, we have a free speech case law that uh, you're allowed to put a political sign on your property in the state of New Jersey. Incredible that even free speech was under attack in 1997. But uh, before that, I, I got my Ph.D. at Rutgers University in economic geography. I wrote a dissertation on inflation, how inflation spreads through the economy and affects employment production what have you. And I had the great fortune and privilege to have uh, the uh, libertarian uh, philosopher, economist, and historian Murray Rothbard on my dissertation committee. I was allowed to bring in an outside member, and he was a great uh, teacher with all his writings that I started reading in the early 70s. And uh, from one of his books, I got the idea for my uh, dissertation topic on the spread of inflation in, in America. So I did that. 
And then eventually I got a job teaching at Ramapo College in 1985 on a temporary basis, which turned into three emergency hires. And eventually I, uh, I got a, a tenure track position. I got tenure in 1990, promoted to associate professor in 1992 and full professor in 1996. And my first book was published in 1995 of how to create a tax-free America where we would phase out Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and replace them with personal responsibility in the nonprofit sector so people can save for themselves and donate to nonprofit health centers, which I helped create one in northern New Jersey in the, uh, 15 years ago. And so uh, in the book, I describe how we can have a tax-free society, which would provide all the goods and services we want from the private sector and all the services that government pr provides us today very costly and inefficiently through the nonprofit sector, whether it's education, whether it's uh, uh, nonprofit uh, medical centers, uh, like I, I mentioned, I helped create. These are ideas that have been around for centuries, literally centuries in America, and we should just resurrect those ideas because it would give us a prosperous economy with no inflation by getting rid of the Federal Reserve, or at least the Federal Reserve making the dollar as good as gold again, and um, not having to worry about 1040s or 1099s or w, uh, W3s or whatever they else you have to file, we would save a ton of money as a society on filing taxes and having an army of bureaucrats at the IRS trying to enforce the tax code. And Hunter Biden wouldn't have any troubles if we didn't have an income tax. So uh, there's a benefit to the Biden family if we have a tax-free America, at least get rid of the income tax. And so that's the point I make in the book. And then... Um, uh, I've been writing articles ever since then, op-eds, letters to the editor, some scholarly articles. And then I retired in, uh, in July 2020 after 35 years teaching, uh, teaching finance. And uh, in the interim, uh, we, we created the Sabrin Center for Free Enterprise at Ramapo College. And uh, I was bringing in uh, speakers to the campus. We had symposia. We had people writing uh, monographs and uh, so on and so forth. And then since I retired, I've written four books, uh, two books on health care, universal medical care from conception to end of life. In other words, how to create a free market medical care system by getting rid of uh, employer-based insurance, getting rid of uh, Medicare and Medicaid over the long term, long term being 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, but we do a lot of these things pretty quickly. And then I wrote the book on, uh, uh, before I retired, I wrote a book called Why the Federal Reserve Sucks, Why the Federal Reserve is an engine of inflation, creates bubbles, enriches the 1%. In other words, everything that's wrong with America can be blamed. A lot of things can be blamed on the Federal Reserve because they create these bubbles that they give us uh, booms and busts, which are, we know very painful. The bust, uh, the last one being the housing bubble bursting uh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And um, I've written a book on uh, how entrepreneurs can use whatever system we have today to provide better insurance for their uh, employees. That's called the finance of healthcare. And the last book I published uh, that was uh, that came out November of 2022 is my memoir. It doesn't go through the, uh, the last uh, 20 years of my life, but it gives people an opportunity to see how I came to America, uh, the son of uh, Holocaust survivors, and uh, started learning about the world we live in and the conclusion I reached, Rory, is very simple. Uh, in 1959, I became a U.S. citizen at age 12. 
and have been faithful to the Constitution. I believe that the principles of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, if they had been applied throughout American history, uh, we wouldn't have had a civil war. We wouldn't have all these endless wars uh, overseas. Uh, we wouldn't have uh, sky-high prices. Uh, we wouldn't have um, government spying on us with the Patriot Act. Uh, we would have a much stronger economy, a more peaceful economy, of more freedom, more liberty, and a more peaceful world, I believe, because the United States has been involved in these endless wars uh, since Korea, Vietnam, the Mideast, and, and now Ukraine, which is essentially a, a, a war that the United States is Zelensky, uh, and that is one of the most corrupt in the, United, in, in the world. And it's just amazing to me that people are not waking up and uh, demanding that the United States stop funding a proxy war uh, because it could lead to World War III. And, and I remember Murray, you're going in and out a little bit. <clears throat> this October, and let me take a quick commercial. They diffused the situation. They defused the situation, and um, uh, unfortunately, a year later, Kennedy was assassinated. So it tells you something that uh, the military-industrial complex was not too thrilled with Kennedy trying to have peace with the Soviet Union. And I'd urge all your listeners to go to Google and uh, YouTube and, um, and listen to Kennedy's 1963 commencement address at American University, where he called for a peaceful coexistence with the Soviet Union. And that sealed his fate, I believe. Yeah, no, no, I, I hear you. What, what an introduction, though, man. What a life you've led. Jesus, I mean, that was, that was quite something. That's fascinating, fascinating stuff. I mean, where do I even begin? Um, the Federal Reserve issue, that's a big one. Oh, yeah. You know, and I want to hear your thoughts on rfk jr uh really talking about tackling that issue i think at this point he's the only politician i've really heard that's saying they're really going to do something about it well if you recall uh congressman ron paul who ran for president the first is libertarian well, I, know, I know Rand paul but i'm talking about currently people running for president robert oh, Kennedy yeah. jr is really the only one talking about you know tackling the federal reserve you know, getting rid of them. I mean, I mean, he's talking about getting rid of the FBI, the CIA. I mean, all these big agencies, and I don't see other politicians talking about this stuff. Well, very, very clearly, if a, if a president, if a candidate is running for president, and doesn't mention the Federal Reserve as one of the reasons we have economic problems in this country with the boom bust cycle with the depreciation of the dollar with the manipulation of interest rates they're either a shill for the federal reserve or they don't know what they're talking about and uh, i've been at this for a long long time and i've seen politicians come and go and very few of them talk about the federal reserve because they're they're either accused of being a quote a conspiracy theorist which of course it was. It was uh, the, the Federal Reserve was hatched at a secret meeting in Jekyll Island in 1910, and then it was propagandized to the American people. And the bill was finally uh, signed by President Wilson in December 1913. So it was a conspiracy of Wall Street bankers and members of Congress who were, who were uh, shilling for the Federal Reserve because the bankers knew they couldn't continue 
the banking structure that they have, which is borrowing short and lending long, which is a prescription for economic and financial disaster. So they wanted a lender of last resort, which is what the central bank does. It props up the major banks in the United States, which has been doing since the beginning of the Federal Reserve's creation. And so, um, and we saw it recently with the um, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, the Treasury stepped in, the FDIC stepped in. The, uh, the was you're, you're going in, you're going in and out, and, uh, Murray. It's cutting in and out. So I want to take a quick commercial. We'll take a quick commercial. We'll come right back. We'll try to fix the connection. Can you please tell the jury why you're here today? Ms. Hurt accused me of abuse. My ex-husband is suing me. Brutal, cruel. This is humiliating for any human being to go through. And all. False. Amber Heard forever changed Mr. Depp's life and reputation. Behind the fame, you're going to see who the real Johnny Depp is. Depp was the one who wanted the cameras in the courtroom. She didn't. I would argue it's a PR campaign disguised as a defamation case. There's the man himself. It's been a social media circus of commentary from creators and influencers. Did you commit any kind of prank? Absolutely not. On my side of the bed was human fecal matter. <laughs> this has moved away from a news story or a lawsuit. And it's transformed into a cultural moment. People are live tweeting. People are live streaming. Where does it end? The engagement is phenomenal. Videos can be very easily manipulated and republished. We're being influenced by bots interacting with bots. Johnny Depp is clearly winning right now in the court of public opinion. I've never been so scared in my life. She's acting. This trial is about so much more than Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Why are we all so fascinated with this case? Because they're famous, because of the details. What didn't the jury see? It just kicked me. It didn't happen. I don't know who to believe. I was hitting you. Mr. Mr. Depp is your victim, isn't he? This is not so much about the legal merit, but rather what the public perception is. And that leads us to the real question, which is, what is the actual truth? And we are back. Murray, you back with us? Murray, you with us? You there? I'm, I'm here. Okay, as you were saying, though, you were in the middle of your thought. Okay. Uh, well, no, the um, if any presidential candidate does not talk about the Federal Reserve in discussing economic policy, they're either shilling for the Federal Reserve or they do not know what they're talking about because the Federal Reserve is the most destructive economic institution we have besides the IRS because yeah. it destroys wealth. It, it, of course, it increases wealth of the one percenters and other people that benefit from uh, cheap money. And that's why uh, Wall Street loves the Federal Reserve because it inflates asset values by pumping money into the system, which uh, raises the price of all assets, uh, commercial real estate, uh, stocks, bonds, 
and other assets. And so uh, you never hear any criticism from the Federal Reserve from Wall Street because all they say is uh, the Federal Reserve has got to continue what it's doing, which is trying to manage the economy. And we know that if the Soviet Union couldn't manage the economy, if uh, if other uh, collectivist societies could manage the economy. Why do we think we have an institution that could manage the economy called the central bank, the Federal Reserve? And so uh, the evidence is clear. The reason the economy is doing as well as it, it does, Rory, is because of entrepreneurship of men and women all across the country, all across the globe, inventing things, innovating, and um, getting the, uh, the resources they need to build factories and plant and equipment and online sites and providing goods and services that the people want. That's the ultimate test of whether you have economic prosperity. Are entrepreneurs serving consumers? We know the government is not serving consumers because I would bet a lot of money that if we went to quote a voluntary income tax, very few people would send the money in every, every week, every month, every quarter, whatever. I mean, people know they're getting ripped off by the government. And unfortunately, they're not saying anything uh, about it because it's, it's considered um, um, anti-government. If you say, if you criticize the government about uh, the tax structure and all the spending that we have, which takes me to an issue that is so critical, very few people are even talking about it. And that is the interest on the national debt. That is probably one of the best indicators of the future of the country because the interest on the national debt is nearly approaching $1 trillion a year. To put this in perspective, it was only $500 billion, the interest expense, a few years ago. But because of all the COVID spending under Trump, by the way, Trump and Biden, has, uh, the tag team, has, has really demolished the concept of fiscal responsibility yeah. in Washington, D.C. The budget has gone from $3.9 billion when Trump came in to nearly $7 trillion today. And of course, uh, uh, during Trump, it bumped up quite a bit yeah. because they spent about three, $4 trillion in order to deal with the COVID situation, right. which they caused. They caused the problem by having the lockdowns. Yeah. And um, Trump, Trump should have never went along with that. That was the demise of his presidency, going along with Operation Warp Speed lockdowns, yeah. uh, keeping Fauci on board, hiring people like Alexander Azar, who's one of the biggest pharmaceutical lobbyists in, in the industry. It was just bad, bad, bad. Yet all these bureaucrats around him. There's no question about it. The, the thing I find about Trump, of course, I never met him. Uh, the only thing I know about him, I never saw The Apprentice when he was uh, host of The Apprentice. So the only thing I knew about him is that he was in the news constantly with his books, which of course he didn't write. They were all ghostwritten for him. Right. And... Um, being in the news, but when he, the thing that troubled me about Trump, when he came down the escalator in Trump Tower and he had his press conference, the thing that really troubled me is that he painted immigrants that are coming across the border with a very broad brush saying they're, they're rapists, they're this, they're that. No, he, what he should have said, and this is what he, and this is show, shows you that uh, he was trying to tap into the anti-immigrant um, uh people in the country. What he should have said, hey, I'm an immigrant. My my uh, my ancestors came to America from Europe and they came here the legal way. I assume they did. And, and they built a life here just as other immigrants have done. So let's have immigration based upon common sense. You are vetted in your own country. We, are, we determine if you're 
if you're healthy, if you have a sponsorship in America, like we did in 1949, we had sponsorship. So we weren't on welfare, we weren't on a burden on, on New York City taxpayers. And if he had said that and said, we welcome immigrants because they bring great um, skills to America, even if they don't have skills, uh, the second generation will, will have skills because they'll be going to school. And he could point to examples of that. Instead, he demonized illegal immigrants. And, uh, and so he should have said, we don't want criminals coming to America, so we have to vet them properly. We don't want people who have communicable diseases coming to America, so we have to make sure they're healthy with, if they come in. Instead, he really tapped into uh, what has been called the nativist approach to uh, immigration. And uh, that turned me off right away, being an immigrant myself, but being, being uh, someone who proposes uh, legal immigration, where you have an orderly way of people coming to America, so they're not a burden on the taxpayers, they're not coming in by stealth, and we don't know who's coming in. And the irony is that if you're an American citizen and you leave the country and come back, you have to show a passport. Immigrants are coming to the country not showing any passport, not showing any uh, major identification, not showing health issues, and that's not the proper way to do it, to come into a country uh, where you're well, you historically you're welcome with open arms, but do it the right way, as my late father used to say. There's a right way and a wrong way of doing it. Always choose the right. And our immigration policy. Are you still with us? Has been the wrong. So. Murray, you're going in and out. Hold on, look at. I'm right back. Bad on, connect. See if we still got Murray. Murray, you still with us? You froze up on us, Murray. Give me a second. Try to fix this. Murray, you with us? Still with us? Okay, let me take Should I go to Chrome? Yeah, go to Chrome. I'll take a quick break. We'll finish up. We'll fi we'll finish up here. Uh, but yeah, go to Chrome. Go to Chrome. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be the best connection. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us. Our lives are the sum of our choices. And we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is gonna cost you dearly. The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, friend. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. Listen to me. The world's coming after you. His fate is written. Shall we write yours too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written.
your objective? What's your ultimate objective? Your life will always matter more to me than my own. None of our lives can matter more than this mission. I don't accept that. Cancer is still spreading. I'm afraid there's nothing else we can do. There is one person who might be able to help. Our program is a two-pronged treatment outside Mexico City. The results have been stunning. She saved my life. You're in very good hands with us. After that, what happens then? Your whole life happens then. John Kramer. According to these scans, the tumor was never removed. How much time do I have? Months, at best. I still have a lot of work that needs to be done. Tended to cure me, but what I have planned for each of you is very real. Peace came upon me, no light, no sound. The only thing I have not provided is your anesthetic, but trust me, you will want to remain alert. And the chief. You pick John Kramer? Please, don't hesitate. Place a big enough piece of your cerebral tissue into the glass enzyme tank. This will save your life. So this is not retribution. It's a reawakening. The choice is yours. And we are back. Murray, you with us? I'm back. Back to be with you. Okay, as you were saying, you were in your thought and it kind of cut out. Well, the thing is, um, 
this presidential election should be quite interesting because uh, we have a welfare warfare state that's been evolving for the past hundred plus years. I guess right. ever since the Spanish American. And I War. wanted to go back to what you said about Trump. You know, and I have my issues with Trump. You know, I voted for him twice. I thought he did a lot of great things, but as I mentioned earlier, I did not like Operation Warp Speed. Yeah. I did not like him taking a lot of money from Big Pharma. I did not like him keeping Fauci around. Um, you know, the printing of the money. Um, I mean, we can, we can go on and on. You know, Alexander Azar, who was running a lot of the operations, is one of the biggest pharmaceutical lobbyists in the industry. But when he made that speech about immigrants, when he was first announcing, I think that was taken out of context. I know you got a little upset and you thought he was attacking immigrants, but I think that was a little taken out of context. Fair to say? Fair to say? Uh, well, the thing is, Trump made some very important strategic errors in, in talking about immigration. And um, uh, yeah. he could have said something to diffuse what people perceived as racist and anti-Hispanic and whatever. And whenever you're messaging something, you have to make sure that it's based upon issues and not what people can perceive to be race and, and ethnicity, because that's what he's been badgered on for, for years now. So, right. But, and we have to understand, though, that he is just not a polished guy. Yeah. You know, he's just not. He just says what he says. And it's unlike anything we've ever seen before in politics. I mean, is he hilarious? Does he have a great personality? Absolutely. Is some of the shit he says a little crazy and out of line? Yes. Uh, does some of the stuff that he says on True Social and his social media accounts drive me nuts? Yes. And I think it's alienated, you know, a certain amount of people. Um, but at the same time, I do have to say that's the messaging on the social media did benefit him in ways. So I have to look at it from both sides. I can't just well, look at it from one side and say, you know, that was damaging. But I do think the way his New Yorker personality is, that's just him. Yep. You know, unfiltered. Says what he wants, very outrageous, you know, just out there, eccentric in a way, uh, doesn't live by the status quo, you know. Well, the thing is, he could have diffused the the, uh, the Adam Schiff's and the Nancy Pelosi's and the Charles Schumer's of the world and the media by saying to them, you think I colluded with Russia, that you think I'm somewhat of an agent of Putin. Well, here's what we're going to do. He could have said this in December of 2016 when uh, after he was elected or as soon as he got into office in January of 2020. He could have said, you people think I, I'm, I'm corrupt. I'm an uh, uh, agent of a foreign government. I'm going to appoint Alan Dershowitz, who voted for Hillary Clinton, who is a Harvard law professor for 60 years. And I'm going to appoint him to a commission to investigate these allegations. And I'm going to sign a contract with the people of America, and you should sign it too, that if Alan Dershowitz and his commission finds collusion, I will resign. And if he doesn't find collusion, you will resign. He'll he would have checkmated his opposition right from the get-go. And unfortunately, rather than doing something tactical like that, he didn't do it. When it comes to COVID, what he should have said to the public when Fauci said, so many people are going to die if they don't. We don't have the lockdowns, and we don't do this or that. 
He should have said, you know what? I need a second opinion or a third opinion. So I want to put together a very quick town hall meeting of people from across the country who are epidemiologists, uh, uh, virologists, and other experts on this in this field and uh, find out what's the best treatment. And if he had done that, he, that would have been leadership on his part, saying, I'm not going to accept anyone's word for what they believe, even though he's, quote, the top doctor in, in the federal government. I need other opinions. And so right. when it comes to, quote, public health, you need a variety of opinions because we know that everything that Fauci told us was untrue now. And yet people right. accept it as the gospel. And unfortunately, the medical profession accepted it as the gospel. Rather than being skeptical, they discounted all the other protocols to, to uh, deal with COVID. They uh, thought that everyone should get vaccinated when the evidence was clear that the people that were more susceptible were the people who were elderly with underlying conditions. If you were young and generally healthy, you were not affected. There was no reason to close down the schools. Sweden didn't close down the schools and they didn't have one child COVID death. So again, as an academic, I like to have all sides of the story to make up my own mind as to what is the reality of going on. And, and use my own skills as, uh, with reason and logic and data to reach a conclusion. Unfortunately, Trump doesn't come from the academic world. He comes from uh, basically the, the, the marketing world. That's what he does best because he's not a great manager given his tenure as president. Look how many people left uh, his, his administration. I mean, he had so many people leave the administration from Secretary of Defense, his Chief of Staff, uh, his National Security Advisor, and then he brings in John Bolton, one of the architects of the neoconservative foreign policy, as his national security advisor. And I said, what is this guy doing? He's bringing somebody who believes in a policy that he doesn't believe in. So I don't know where he was, where his head was when he, when he appointed John Bolton as national security advisor. And he, brought, and, and he, had, uh, he surrounded himself with people from the swamp, from Washington, D.C., instead of bringing in outsiders who knew how to clean up Washington, or at least were going to try to clean up Washington. Instead, um, he thought he could do it all. And from the, from the reports that we have, he really read any of the briefings prepared by him. And I think he had some good instincts about what was going on in Syria and other places. Yeah, we're having some issues with Murray. I don't know what's going on. Murray's connection. We're going to have to come back. Um, there's some issues going on. But I totally agree with everything Murray's saying. Everything Murray's saying in terms of the lockdowns, in terms of, you know, how that was the demise of, of Trump's presidency. I think that was the worst decision, you know, how he went about things with closing down businesses, printing money, you know, and, and keeping Fauci aboard. Alexander Azar, one of the biggest pharmaceutical lobbyists. Uh, I do want to welcome my next guest because I, I don't know what's going on with Murray. And we're also we also have Nate, uh, Nate Loop in the in the green room as well. Um, Jer Jeremy Sl Sl Slayton is with us right now. I'm really happy you're here, buddy. Your first time on. Uh, first and foremost, give us a bio, a background, how it all started for you, all that fun jazz. Sure, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, really quick background. I'm a Tennessee guy. Grew up here in Middle Tennessee, a little town called nice. Murfreesboro. Baseball player. Ended up going and playing college baseball at Georgia Tech. Wow. And, um, 
you know, back then I wasn't really into the things I'm into now. I just wanted to get to the big leagues. That was like a childhood dream. Right. And uh, got got to play with the Phillies after a very, I would say, a rocky um, or roller coaster ride of a college career. You know, some really some great moments, but also some really uh, debilitating injuries as well. Yeah. And uh, played with the Phillies for seven seasons, got up to triple A, got to taste what the big leagues would be like in spring training a couple times and hit a couple home runs up there, which was which was awesome. Um, but ultimately I got hurt right there at the end. So I've got one of those kind of, kind of sad stories a little bit about my, my pro career, but I had a, a wonderful time uh, pursuing that dream. Well, then after that, I went back to Atlanta, I got involved with, with sales and I was selling roofing projects to the government. So, you know, like Fulton County, Georgia, DeKalb County, Georgia, uh, the, uh, the, the state of Georgia itself, those were customers of mine. And, um, so I was pretty in tune with political things from a business perspective for that reason. And, um, that, that, you know, in Atlanta, a lot of the BLM stuff was really going strong back in 2012, 2013. That was the whole Trayvon Martin thing. And basically, you know, half of Atlanta had to shut down. So I saw that firsthand and it really got me interested in researching what's really the truth here. And, um, you know, more often than not, I found that the media was lying to me and lying to everybody else. And so many people were buying it hook, like line and sinker. And I got to the point, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And then 2020 hit and I, I felt strongly that I was being called, uh, by God to leave my sales career and begin to, you know, seek truth and speak truth in the best way I could full time. So um, I launched a public platform called JSLay USA, and I'm you can find me almost any platform. So Instagram is a good place to follow me for you know quick updates. But Rumble's where I do a lot of the content, like what you provide, more longer form um, interviews, <clears throat> and I also make some short documentaries and things like that. But then when it came to me, and I was like, well, what can I do to to make some money? Number one. Um, cause the, the, the podcast wasn't doing it, you know, at least not yet. Right. Um, and I thought, what's my unique skill set where I can provide some solutions based on what I believe while at the same time, uh, making money. And, uh, you know, th that's where the warrior mind, body, and soul program came from, and which is what I'm really pushing and promoting right now, but it is a, it's for men only. And it's a place for, for men to get together who are patriots, uh, more often than not, they're Christian guys and to get in shape physically. So there's a, a full scale um, workout program that's a part of it. There's a comprehensive eating plan. There's soul building operations to get you out in the community doing some things that are that are positive. And um, it's really about relationship building, both with men that are in the group, as well as your your family and your community as well. So that's what I'm in the middle of now. And um, the next round of that starts on August 12th. And Rory, because you're having me on the show, um, I've got a website actually just for your your listeners. So if, if someone goes to warriormbs.com forward slash Rory, um, the first one that signs up through that will get it free. It's a $500 program. Um, you, they'll get it at no charge. Uh, and then after that, you have to pay for it. <laughs> and, so, and it well, keep going. Sorry. No, no, no. So I was just going to say, so that's, that's, uh, you know, the 10,000 foot level of what I'm doing. And I'm really excited about the, the warrior program. We've had phenomenal results with guys. Dude, that's awesome. So how many clients do you have with that warrior program? 
Well, the, the clients come and go because but like a, all together since you've started. Yeah. Yeah. Since I started, I've had over a hundred guys go through it. And, and when uh, did you start? What year? Uh, no, it's only been like 10 months. Wow. So not even a full year yet. And you've already had over a hundred dudes. Yeah. And I, and we, I've Dude, got that's a, impressive. And that's, that, that's guys from all over the United States. Are, are we talking internationally as well? well? Yeah, there's some international. We've had a couple South African guys. Wow. Um, one guy from uh, the UK, but everybody else has been in the U S. Um, and you know, that's like when I do my online ads for it, I gear it for the U S. So I don't even know how my South African friends found out about it. I got, it was because I went on shows like yours yeah. where there, there is, you know, an international audience that tunes in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm on many different platforms. I've got two media networks now mm. where we have a lot of people doing a lot of different shows. I've got a new social media app coming out because I've been awesome. banned on Twitter. I've been banned <laughs> on Instagram. I was banned on LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook. Now, you banned on Instagram since Musk? Uh, you mean Twitter since Musk? Yeah, uh, I got yes, banned. Yeah. I got banned on Twitter a week and a half ago. Um, yeah. and you know why? Um, I they they showed me why it wasn't even graphic or explicit. I said that in a court of law, Fauci should be given the death penalty for crimes against humanity. Yeah. I didn't say anything like graphic, like anything crazy. I just said in a court of law. He should be prosecuted, given the death penalty, and they banned me because they said I was inciting violence. Yeah, which it sounds like exactly what what Meta would do. That's the same excuse they would use. I I've wonder... seen people say much worse on Twitter, and nothing happens to them. Oh yeah, especially if it's geared toward Trump. And, like yeah. I... <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing. So LinkedIn. I mean, I had on LinkedIn, I had over forty thousand connections on LinkedIn. That yeah. I built it. That I built up over a few year time frame, and they banned me. Uh, Instagram banned me. Uh, Facebook banned me from streaming for two months, so I just deactivated Facebook. Yeah. And Twitter banned me. So I'm coming out with my own so social media app. I mean, I've been in technology for ten years. I code. I build. I I'm, I'm an engineer. Wow. Okay. So um, it's going to be a mixture between what Facebook looks like and what Twitter looks like. It's going to come out in about three weeks. I've been working on it for about a month and it's called Roar, R-O-A-R, okay. like, like roaring, like you're making yeah. an expression, <laughs> you know, Twitter is tweeting. This is yeah. Roar, like roaring, yeah. like when somebody is like, wants to get their thoughts out there, you know, so it's pretty cool when you post your, your, well, it's got to be a play on your name as well, right? Roar. Yeah, it's my yeah. nickname, Roar. Yeah. There yeah, we yeah. Go. Okay. Gotcha. So it all kind of goes together and, and the emblem is a lion. So it, you know, like, nice. roar, you know, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but great, we, we have to, we really have to rely on independent media with where we're at. No doubt about it. Yeah. Stream is so compromised. Their ratings are at record lows. <laughs> People are tuning into these podcasts because they want to see authenticity and genuine conversations with, with no sort of, you know, agenda. Yeah, I agree. I think that if you are spending as an influencer or a podcast or whatever, if you are spending the bulk of your time, really you're supporting by, by pursuing big tech and that, that audience, I understand the audience is far bigger on big tech. It just oh, is. Yeah. But if that's where you're spending the majority of your time and you're not trying to build your rumble, your bit shoot, your, your roar, you know, all right. that, all those things. I just built something called sensorless, which has all the same functionalities and features as rumble and YouTube. Yeah. That took me five months. That's already up and going. 
and uh, we got people signing up. We're growing. I launched it in May, so it's it's been up a few months, and I launched nice. I launched Next Gen USA, which is another media network, back in the fall. But no, as you were saying, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I was just gonna say, as an influencer, if that's where you're spending your time, it's a lot like uh, a conservative family sending their kids to like a big state school and thinking like, okay, now they're going to get a great education. No, they're going to become indoctrinated against everything that you've taught them like your whole life growing up and you're going to pay money to do it. And that's what big tech is doing. It's like, if you, even if, if your ideology is opposed to big tech, you're still providing them money and the foundation to undercut your entire uh, philosophy and, and your business model down the road because they're only tightening their grip. And what I'm learning, Jeremy, is that with with big tech, their algorithm is so fixed. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's so, it's so suppressed. It is so orchestrated in a way that the more popular you get, the more yes. powerful you get. When they see you start making money and start making noise, they ban your accounts. They limit your reach. So it, it's there's no really ways around it. I mean, they have the ultimate control. There's a reason why they call these people the masters of the universe. When you control the technology, you pretty much control everything. Yeah. There's been several documentaries I've watched and I'm sure it's more scientific than this, but in those particular documentaries, I think one of them was even that Netflix one that was talking about the power of social persuasion that big tech has and do you remember that one? It was, it was all the rage, like in 2020, um, it was made for the mainstream. So it kind of like, it, it didn't say that there was a left leaning bias, which there totally is, but it didn't try to say that it just talked about how powerful big tech was when it comes to political things and that it can, you know, put people in bubbles and all this. But the phrase that was used a couple of times was that, um, the power of these companies, Google and Facebook and, and maybe Twitter are actually more powerful than most countries when it comes to actually shaping the minds of citizens, which is insane. Dude, the mind manipulation, the brainwashing, yeah, the virtue signaling. I mean, I could go on and on all these different fruitcake trends that yeah. continuously are repeated over and over all this BLM white guilt bullshit going on. I mean, like, fuck, I'm tired of this liberalism, man. I mean, yeah, this is all that they're indoctrinating us with on these platforms. I don't see conservative values being represented, you know? Yeah, not for long, because it, like you said, and to, unless they, the, the, what you will see is like a PragerU or, you know, the Daily Wire. Well, they're, they're going to give you some truth. They're going to, and I, it's, I don't it's, trust any, I don't trust those guys at all. Yeah, well, I that, can't stand Ben Shapiro. He's a little freaking wimp, dude. He's a little weasel. Well, little, that was a little rat. That was the point I was getting to. Was a rat. <laughs> I mean, I like Matt Walsh though. Matt Walsh is the only one I like over there. I do. I, I liked his documentary. What yeah. is the woman? Oh, it was excellent. Yeah. So yeah. I'm. I, I'm not bagging on him as hard as you are, but I am saying there's certain like holy grails of the left right. that as long as the right wing people that are getting more popular agree not to touch it like the truth about 9-11 or the origins of covid the you know ben shapiro is one of the first 
conservative guys to say like, you should get the shot. Everybody should get the, sh get the vaccine. Yeah, he, you know? yeah, he He's one of the first to do it. And, yeah. and you'll notice other things that are really these key, like mainstream ideals, as long as they either don't touch it or go along, then they can say whatever they want about BLM or about these social, social issues um, that maybe don't hold as much geopolitical weight. And Jeremy, I got to ask you, <clears throat> you brought up nine 11. Yeah. A lot of people have a lot of different opinions on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard everything at this point. I think you probably have too. A lot. Um, there's no fucking way that that just happened. That was totally an inside job. If you look at Larry Silverstein, who is the owner of that building, he took out a terrorist insurance policy a week or two before the buildings were hit. Yeah. All the gold and the money was taken out from underneath the buildings a few days before the towers hit. Um, I mean, we can go on and on. I mean, a lot of well, people, the big one, the big, people the, say it was an excuse to invade the Middle East. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about stuff like Tower 7, which people still can't give us clear answers on. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, a lot of sketchy shit. Uh, but you probably have your take on this on everything. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd be right there with you. Um, the, the problem with the nine 11 truth community is this, there's a million ways to de de debunk. And, and then I also want to mention yeah. all the documents that they are refusing to release that the families and the victims deserve to see. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're, you're hundred percent Lack right. of transparency. Yes. Well, you know, I think what I was saying is, um, there's, there's a million ways to debunk it to debunk the official narrative, the 9-11 commission report. And you can do that all day long. There's a, there's very few people though, that have done a great job of saying, you know, here is actually what happened. So you can say what didn't happen, but a lot of people stop and they, they, they have an idea, maybe one aspect, but you have to bring in to, to, together. Okay. How, how was the planning? How did they pull it off? As well as who benefited? What was the geopolitical benefit and which countries benefited the very most and why and, didn't we attack saudi arabia where it came from because they give us so much money that's the reason why because if you look at who was behind this it was a lot of people out of saudi arabia and we didn't go near them well but see what you said earlier you said you know 9-11 was an inside job that immediately makes people think okay cia within the u.s government and while i agree that the cia was involved and there were players in the U.S. government absolutely in the know. And Larry Silverstein as a corporate agent with, you know, Israeli ties and all that. They all knew. But the, but then you bring in Saudi Arabia. Well, that is a whole nother country. So the, what they did was they distracted us from what actually happened. <laughs> and, and, and also, I'll say within the truth community of 9-11, there's a lot of, I think, at this point, I don't think I know it. There's a lot of CIA infiltration into the truth movement, kind of like JFK's assassination, where they will tell tell a partially true false narrative that is considered truth. And it ends up either getting debunked later, which makes more truthers, you know, start to believe the real the, the mainstream narrative or it just keeps people off the trail. And at the end of the day, that's all they have to do is keep people off the trail until everybody that was alive for the planning and the execution of that is dead. Kind of like JFK, you know, like they still won't release all the documents and everybody's even they're dead now, but they're protecting the institution of the CIA.
So, yeah. Do you think it could have been a lot of people say controlled demolition just because the way the planes hit the buildings? I mean, had to be. do you think that that's actually a real possibility? Had to be. And yeah, I think it's what did happen. Now, I know that there's other there's on other both on, on obviously Tower seven and the other one and two. Well, you got to look at it like this. Once you realize that building seven was a controlled demolition. Once you understand that, and yeah. I think the way people can do that is look at what the 9-11 Commission report says. It barely mentions it. And then when it does, it just says office fires caught on in the building and it got so hot that the building collapsed and they kind of leave it there. Well, first of all, regular office fires just simply not going to get that hot. And that that's not the excuse they gave on the, 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 the larger twin towers. They said, well, it was the jet fuel got so hot that it melted the steel. And that's also not true. But so when, when you realize that, okay, the time and deliberation was taken to, to plant this kind of, you know, demolition activity and then execute it on the same day that the other two towers went down within hours, you realize if, if they did it with, with one, they did it with all three period. Now they use the plane. Now I believe planes really did hit the buildings. I'm not one of those that says, Oh, okay. It was, it was advanced blue beam technology. It was a hologram. I, I don't personally believe that. I think there were real planes that hit the building. Um, but that was the decoy just, just like I believe that there was a plane that flew over the Pentagon that day. But, but if you look at the flight path of the actual plane that flew over the Pentagon, versus what the, um, I'm sorry, the mainstream story of where they say it went versus what all the eyewitnesses say. The eyewitnesses point to a completely different line and trajectory. So I think there was a decoy plane that went over and then there was a missile that hit and did the damage. But they needed, they needed to blame it on the plane. Right, and how, how do we explain just everything leading up to it in regards to all the warning signs. I mean, there were many warning signs, remember? Yeah. I mean, I mean, one big one that you can see perfectly in hindsight is what you mentioned about Donald Rumsfeld and the fact that the, um, the defense department had lost, I think it was 2.3 trillion with a T dollars. Um, and, and earlier that year, and they couldn't, they said they, we can't account for it. And then Donald Rumsfeld on September 10th, comes out and tells the American people for the first time, we've lost $2.3 trillion, which is like, I mean, it's an astronomical amount of money. You look back especially, at that. Especially at that time. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's a ton now, but you, you look back at yeah. that and you say, okay, I, I think perhaps he knew that by saying it the day before these attacks, that no one would ever question it again. And by the way, Donald Rumsfeld and George Bush and the, uh, I think it was called the the Project for a New America. It was this 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 small group they'd made um, within the government where they wanted a ton more money to go to the Defense Department, um, and and they got that money immediately after the attacks. But having lost two point three trillion, if the attacks didn't happen, they never would have gotten that money that they wanted, and they used that money to begin the war in the Middle East. So, a lot of this has to be, you know you got to have people that are willing to look at it in hindsight. And I'm actually working on a project right now with a guy who is on the ground. Have you heard of um, Adam Eisenberg? Sounds familiar. 
Yeah, he's he's uh, joined the truth community in a big way, but he was at the Pentagon on 9-11. I mean, on that day. And he talks about all of the just discrepancies. And the, he, he was he was one of the, the guys that went in um, to clean up and to go pick up bodies and things like that. And he talks about he didn't find a single actual plane part in the building at all. He thinks that most of the plane parts that they, they have in photos outside the Pentagon were set up the night before. Um, he's got a great detailed uh, interview he's done with me, but we're working on doing something um, to come out around 9-11 this year to, you know, just once again, expose a lot of these things. But he's got an entire team looking at it from boots on the ground level, geopolitical level, who benefits, uh, what were the telltale signs as you're talking about to try to put together an all-encompassing documentary. Wow. So the documentary, you guys are working on it right now? Yeah, he's working on it. The truth is we're, we're not going to probably get it out. He's going to do a, an exclusive interview with me. I would love to get it out by this 9-11. It'll probably be the following. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's got a massive amount of information. And the thing is, with him being a guy who was in the military and on the ground at the Pentagon, he has access to things that most 9-11 truth researchers just can't touch. And what, what do you what do you want the biggest take? What do you think the biggest takeaway will be from this for people that see it? That's a good one. Um, I don't even know all the all the secrets he has. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest takeaway, you know, in terms of like a smoking gun, like one thing, I'm not sure because different things matter a lot more to different people. Right. Um, I think the biggest takeaway needs to be for I'd say right now. Do you know any polls on how? Uh, how many Americans, what the percentage is that actually buy the mainstream narrative versus do not? Do you know what the breakdown is? I don't know. I currently know. I mean, I, I haven't looked at the data in probably just months. Yeah. I used to follow it quite a bit, but now I, I haven't. What yeah, is, it, you know? If I had to guess, no, I, I heard a stat on this a while back, but it's probably not accurate anymore. If I had to guess now, I would say 70% of Americans still buy the mainstream narrative just because they've never taken the time to, to really dig in. And they, you know, they saw an Alex they Jones go out of their comfort zone and they want to watch yeah. what they want to watch, what makes them feel good rather than the seeing what the truth is. It's feelings over facts. It ju just like with COVID people, you know, people now who always have approved of the shots and they've, they, maybe they they've liked the, the Fauci thing and that whole bit, but now they hear about people, you know, f falling over and dying uh, yeah. during a newscast and a comedy show and a sports field and all these things. And they, they just have to simply either turn a blind eye or say, well, that's just sudden yeah. adult death syndrome. Yeah, that didn't happen from the shot. Don't don't be a conspiracy theorist. That, well, that's right. yeah, I mean, these people are naive and gullible and they're sheep and they buy into fear. And well, I there's, also, there's I also pride, though, Rory, because like you said, people don't want to face what it would mean if they were wrong, because that would mean. I have to admit how gullible I was. I have to admit I'm wrong about something that's killing people. There's a lot of guilt that would go with that, especially right. to those people that like, you know, sat around the Thanksgiving table and told their family, like, unless you're vaccinated and wear a mask to Thanksgiving, like you can't come, you know, they got, <laughs> they'd have to go back on all that. Right. And I'm not, you know, I'm not rooting for anybody to, to be hurt or to you know to die or anything like that but there was a hell of a lot of vaccine shaming there was a hell of a lot of 
uh, ridiculing and mean people and just so aggressive that want forgiveness now and are saying sorry and are trying to get back in people's good graces. But it ruined friendships. It divided yeah. people. Um, you know, I, I have I have family. I would, I would actually, Rory, love to see more of that. I've not seen many people at all. I've seen maybe an article in the Atlantic where it's like, we were okay. So we were wrong about COVID. Can you forgive it? I saw like one, but in terms of people in my life, cause I took a strong stand on freedom of choice, you know, that was kind of my place and, and I didn't get vaccinated. And there were thousands of people that are in my circles that either stopped talking to me or kind of, you know, hated me for it out loud at some level. None of them have come back and been like, maybe I was wrong. So I, I would love to actually, I would be gracious to, to someone that did, you know, because like, okay, I get it. Like you're one of the only people that has actually apologized, you know, I, great. Let's, let's seek truth together now. You know, that's where I'd be. And I have, um, you know, I know for a fact and have a, and really have thought about this clearly and in detail and how dangerous it's going to get when they lock us down again, because 70% of people bought into the fear and obeyed. And if it worked, if that experiment worked the first time, there's no reason why these elites would not pull that shit again. Well, it's worked a bunch of times. I think they they're going to try climate lockdowns. They're going to bring up a bunch yeah. of different narratives to, uh, say to say we need lockdowns and justify the reasoning, but continue. Sorry. No, it's, it's okay. I, I had so many thoughts. I'll go back to finishing my original thought because I know I went down a rabbit trail yeah. on the percentage of people. I think I would say 70% of the American people still buy the mainstream narrative uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. Then I think probably 20% question it, but they can't give you a cohesive answer or a coherent answer on what they actually think happened. They just don't trust the government anymore. And they've heard, you know, a story or two from, from somebody that, that kind of opened their eyes. Um, there's probably only 10% of the American people that could give a valid motive reason on why the U S government and, and maybe some foreign players would plan this and carry it out against their own people. And that's, that's a problem. So the biggest takeaway I hope is that people walk away being able not only to say, I, I no longer believe the mainstream narrative, but they can give a coherent answer on what they really believe happened. I hear you, man. And yeah. I, I, I want, I want people to really see the light more and more. And they're, they're just not too many people are stuck in their ways. I mean, and it, well, I, I was hoping for a long time that it would get better and people would, you know, just like wake up, but it's, we're, we're living in a time where people are scarred. Mm -hmm. People are traumatized for life. After these lockdowns, you go out in public, people are like zombies, like society is never going back to normal pre COVID. And I just go out and I see the paranoia and yeah, Ugh, it just it gives me an icky feeling, you know. I just don't, I don't like because I pick up on that energy. I don't, I hate that shit, man. You there? A little meme I posted. What your my stories? I'll just read it. 
says, I'm no longer interested in awakening the masses because they've made it clear they're not interested. I'm here to connect with like-minded individuals and awaken those who are willing to learn. And I think that's what we're going to see more and more of is there, there's probably not going to be a great coming together of people and willing to apologize and swallow their pride and forgive. You'll see some of that. And I think it's beautiful where it happens. But I think for the most part, there's going to be people who are more and more zombified into the state controlled hive mind where they're all thinking the same. The moment that they're told their car can't start because of climate lockdown, they'll actually be okay with that because they think they're doing their du good duty toward man, you know, but then there's going to be another group of people who are more and more like F you to, to, to all of it. And they're pursuing freedom and truth. And the, I mean, it's unfortunate. It's got to be that way, but hopefully the appeal of living free will actually begin to spill over and get more and more people that way. So sometimes when the government just does insane things and makes incredibly stupid claims, I'm kind of like, yes, like keep it coming. Because then like people's eyes get open and they're like, wait, I, I may have voted for Joe Biden, but I did not sign up for this. You know, and I, so I like it when they do incredibly retarded things. <laughs> and No, I, I hear you. And Jeremy, you know, when I said that 30% of us fought back, um, I think that's a fair number to say, don't you? Would you talking about during COVID? Yeah, I would say about 70% complied and went along. I would say yeah. about 30, I would say about 30% were like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Like, Nationwide, let's say that here, I think this breakdown would be pretty accurate. I would say at the time COVID hit, you got to remember we were in a unbelievably good economic situation in oh, america yeah. oh, donald yeah. trump was going to be reelected, like yes. bar none before COVID. covid ruined him yeah so i think because it was there was such a shock factor i'd, I'd say prior to it 55 percent of america to 60 percent were really pro what was happening in america and pro trump the whole bit and 40 to 45 percent maybe not mm -hmm. um what were your what was your question though oh how many of us fought back I was at 30%. You think that's yeah, I, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I think 30% stood against. Right. They stood their ground. Right. But as far as speaking out, I would say 10%. Because that, that, that number has to have risen by now. I mean, with all the tyranny that's gone on and all the shit that's hit the fan. It's, it's, it's grown partly also because the stakes now are not as high for telling the truth. Right. I mean, you... you I remember, I mean, you, if you even said that Hunter Biden's laptop was real, you would get kicked off of Facebook. Like, I mean, it was so stupid. If you said anything to do with the election, like you'd either lose your social media, you could lose your job, like depending on where you worked. Now, I think enough time has passed and the, the globalists that are in charge are kind of loosening the reins because they realize like, okay, we can't keep these people in this constant state or they could revolt. So all of it, it comes in waves. Um, so I, I think some of the reason you're seeing more people speak out is because they feel braver because more time's passed and there's not as much to lose. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And, you know, I worry about my family members because everybody in my family got the vaccine except me. I mean, <laughs> I, re I refused. I, I, I said months even before it came out, I said, I ain't getting this. Uh, there's no way in hell I'm buying into this narrative. And yeah. I tried to talk my family out of it and they bought into the fear. And I'm sure you probably have relatives that you warned and they didn't listen. And yeah. 
and we were, were stuck, stuck in their ways. I mean, and let me remind you, my family, most of them are conservative. I mean, this yeah. in a lot of ways, this wasn't really so much a partisan thing. There were people on both sides getting it, but it was such a big mistake. Well, yeah. And that, that, that speaks to what we started this entire conversation with. And that's like, who's really speaking truth. And if you'll know, I talked about the Holy grails of, and I shouldn't have said of the left of these globalists that want global, you know, one world government and one world tyranny, really. Um, they have Holy grails that they don't allow really popular conservative media to touch or else they'll also get canceled. And that's why you'll see, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost positive Dennis Prager went out and got his vaccine and his boosters and Ben Shapiro too. That's yeah. a personal decision. Betas. Betas. <laughs> but they also were promoting it as a good thing. Fox news, same way. Fox, yeah. You know, they, they went that path. Well, how much money was big pharma sticking in their damn pockets? You, you got it. You got it. But that's the reason. The, that, and that's, that, that's the evilness of it. I mean, it, they, they totally take away their morals, their ethics, and they sell out and take the money. And they're giving the public all this bad information yeah. and basically promoting something that's poison. That's right. And, but they, it goes back to pride again, because once they've taken the money, they don't want to feel like they're Judas. They don't want to feel like that they've <laughs> well, betrayed you know, they humanity. What they want to think is, you know what? I made a, a, the best decision I knew at the time. And they will also want to believe, and ultimately weren't the vaccines. Like they probably saved a lot of lives. I mean, if you ask Sean Hannity, right now oh, geez, if guy. you ask him right now like you know do you, are you do you regret promoting the vaccines like you did on your show on a couple of occasions he would probably say absolutely not i don't regret it i oh, think yeah, it was, that, that 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 guy has way too much pride he's so annoying yeah he's so repetitive but he, that's the word i'm looking for is pride it's it's not because he chose to make an evil decision and i'm gonna make my i mean it could be but i think with him it's more he made the decision that he looked around, he saw everybody else doing it. It's like, okay, I'll, 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 I'll go along too. And now to look back and think, wow, all these athletes are dying and all these actually people like humanity, like the population is being cold a little bit due to these vaccines. He's not going to admit that he's at fault in that. So, you know, he, instead he's just not going to report on it. <laughs> he's going to look the other way. No, I, I hear you. I hear you, man. And I do have to tell you, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just crazy. It's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. And will ever, will anybody be held accountable for all this destruction and all these fatalities and all these long-term health effects? I mean, we all know that the exemption that these pharmaceutical companies have from Congress where, you know, if, if any injuries happen, um, you know, I'm going to make a prediction and I hope this, and I'm going to say it in such a way that I hope doesn't, um, you know, hurt the algorithm for you or whatever. Um, you know, what is, it's like, what is justice in, right. in this situation? Cause right now, if you look at the governing bodies, be it legally, uh, medically, like the higher you go on the pyramid to be that backboard of justice, like, okay, who's going to hold them accountable? Well, you climb up the chain. Well, the CDC won't. So let's go above them. The WHO, no way. They're in bed with China and Bill Gates and the whole globalist thing. So I think that there's going to be, and, and this is not going to probably be, it's not going to be a, a positive, but let's say Albert Borla, the, the CEO of Pfizer, there's enough people that have lost family members. Somebody is going to pull a gun at some point on someone and take a shot. And they're going to call that justice. 
because there's two, you know, be it Borla, Rochelle Walensky, Fauci, one of their family members, like something's going to happen somewhere. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but you know, I, I am saying there's enough pissed off people in the world. Um, and there, and the, the figures that are the bad players are very well known. You know, they're not that hard to find. And, uh, I just feel like something's coming. Um, and it's, you know, it's probably going to be a net negative, but I, I just be on the lookout for something like that. Yeah. And I do, I do have to ask you this, um, you know, in regards to the Vegas shooting, I still want answers on that. I still want transparency on that. That's the biggest mass shooting as far as far as I as far as I know in the history of the US and we still have yet to get full transparency or any sort of real details. I mean that pretty much went under the rug. Yeah, unfortunately, that's one that I've not really gone down. I've only got so much time and I I love to research these things, um but I've heard a lot of people say exactly what you've said, but I've not watched a single you know, detailed description of what happened. It's just one that I haven't, haven't dug into. No, and I got I want to ask you, I got, I got some questions for you about, you know, what you're doing and you're talking about sperm counts among men have significantly decreased over the last half century and and particularly over the last 25 years in most Western countries, sperm counts have dropped by as much as 50% since 1960, partially due to pesticides and endocrine endocrine disruptors yeah yeah and disrupting chemicals pervading our food and water supply the connection between falling sperm counts and the open calls by an innumerable elitist to drastically reduce world population by as much as 95 percent is now being made say the last sentence one more time um says right here, the connection between falling sperm counts and the open calls by in, innumerable elitists yeah. to drastically reduce world population by as much as 95% is now being made. Yeah. So what's, what, which, what, what, where would you start? Like, what question do you have about all that? No, I mean, that's just fascinating. I'm just reading about this on your, on yeah. you know, your bio and everything and how this is the, and this is what they're putting in our food. This is the pharmaceutical drugs. I mean, I've I've start I've talked about this on my show several times, and you know we always talk about so many things, but I don't think we talk about the war on food enough. I don't think yeah, we talk well, about let's, all the, let's start all with that. just just a chemical company in in general. The the one chemical have you heard of atrazine? I, I yeah I know of it. Okay. It's, explain, it's yeah. explain it. It's it's um, and it's probably in a lot of food. I assume. Well, it, it finds its way into food. Um, it, it's what the it's the number two most used um, pesticide and herbicide for farms in the world. They also use it on athletic fields, children's playgrounds, parks um, for its herbicide properties. But then the pesticide stuff's used more on the farms. Well, that you've probably seen at some point or another the Alex Jones um, thing where he's like, "They're turning the freaking frogs gay," you know. Like, and he's not wrong. He's right. not wrong. People was, called him a nut job for that. He's not wrong. Well, he yeah he he's speaking of an actual um, scientific investigation on atrazine, that particular product, which. Yes. So is that putting our water too in the faucet? That's not putting faucet. Yes. That, what, yes. What is happening is this. Because RFK G, Robert Kennedy Jr. was talking about that. It's going on to all the farmland and like I said, athletic fields, which is bad enough. But then the rainwater runoff, it goes into the, 
you know, public sanitation systems for water, um, you know, redevelopment and all that stuff. I forget the word for that. Water reclamation. But water reclamation facilities cannot get rid of this atrazine. So it goes back into the regular drinking water, which in turn, it's just this endless cycle. Well, they did th th this study, which, which was done by a Stanford researcher um, back in the early 2000s who specialized in amphibians. He did it mostly with frogs and tadpoles, but he could take a, a bucket of 25 tadpoles and take like one one millionth of, of like out of like a I think like one one millionth of the bucket of water would be like this atrazine chemical. And it would turn 25 out of 25 frogs to the opposite sex, functioning opposite sex. Um, and not only that, it was it was cancer causing uh, as well. And th the thing is, like, they're still they're still doing it. And the company that makes atrazine is one of the World Economic Forum's top companies. It's in, I think it's Basel, Switzerland. So just outside of Davos, which is where they have the World Economic Forum. The CEO of this company, Syngenta, that's the name of the company, the Syngenta Corporation. Their CEO speaks all the time at the World Economic Forum about social justice and climate change and all, all the normal, usual, typical things you'd, you'd think one of those guys would talk about. Um, but here's the funny thing. It was fat when this atrazine was studied in humans, they found that it was lower. All the things you mentioned that were listed in my bio about it, lowering sperm counts, it lowering testosterone by more than half. All that stuff was true. They also found that it was causing breast cancer in women at, uh, uh exceedingly high levels. Well, there is a chemical made by the same company, Syngenta. That is the number one company used in um, cancer treatments for women's breast cancer. <laughs> um, I can't think of the name of the, the actual chemical off the top of my head. So you've got Syngenta making atrazine, which is causing all these sexual problems. At the same time, it's causing breast cancer in women. And oh, by the way, that same company is making the drug that is used in cancer treatments for, for breast cancer. So they're profiting from killing people, sexually confusing people and the, and, and, and cancer treatments. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really evil all the way around, but it, you got to take the time to, to look at that stuff and research it. And I've heard about the, the second, the part of sexually confusing people, please elaborate on that. I mean, that, well, I mean, I, I, I don't even have the, to, I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it sounds like we all have taken that, uh, astrazine at some point in our foods, right? It sounds like we've all consumed it, right? Well, we have. And, and that's why they say it's hard to keep your testosterone levels at the levels that your great grandparents were because they just didn't have all these chemicals in their right. food and even their fabrics. Like the, the I could go on and on. Right. Um, what, what was the point? Where, where were we? About now? the change, about the changing of the sexual yeah. orientation. Yeah. I mean, that that's obvious that's happening. And a part of it is it's a, it's a social, uh, you know, contagion at this point where the schools are celebrating you for it. And, you know, you, you damn, damn, if you go transgender, you, you might get to go to the white house, you know, like a gold medal. Yeah. yeah. All that stuff. Right. So that's going on on the one hand. Then on the other hand, you've got real stuff like this chemical thing. And if it can do that to frogs and they were proving that it can really mess with people's um, endocrine system, which is, you know, that makes all the, 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 uh, uh, the testosterone, the estrogens, all that stuff, it's going to mess with people. So to me, it's no shocker that 
you know, we went from like 1% of, you know, population under 20 that would identify as part of the LGBTQ community only a few years ago to the most recent news Newsweek poll, which said 33%, 33% of like millennials now identify as LGBTQ. <laughs> I mean, fuck. we're fucked, dude. We're so <laughs> fucked. We're so fucked. Well, <laughs> but that, well, that's why I'm saying like, if you try to stay in the same, same mainstream, then you're probably right. But I think we need to, um, there's no going back. I don't see how this gets better. I just see it evolving into something even worse than it already is. I mean, these people, well, this is all non of these non-binaries, these hundred different genders identifying however the fuck you want to identify. I mean, yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts, man. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I, I, I have a little more hope as, as long as you look local. Okay. If you worry about everything going on out there, it can feel pretty hopeless. I mean, honestly, this is kind of like a Moses parting the Red Sea moment. Like, okay, the Egyptians are coming. We're here at the Red Sea. Like, is this going to happen or not? Like, cause at this point it's only God that can, can, can turn this thing around. That's kind of it. Um, but I, I think that's, th that's the great reset that they want. I'm still hoping for a great awakening, but I really think there's going to be two camps, man. I think there's going to be the great reset people that live in these fourth industrial revolution kind of cities. And then I think there's going to be, you know, the wildlings, <laughs> which are going to be, you know, people like myself that, that, you know, are, are off the grid in a way because they, they won't allow us to be there and nor do we want to be. Oh, you, do you think eventually the cities will be invaded enough to the point where it's filled with homelessness and crime and people will want to be off the grid. I mean, do you think that's what it's coming to? Yes. I think it's already, I mean, you can already see the exodus happening out of New York and out of, yeah. you know, San Francisco and other places, people that, that live within the city limits and they, they're not just insane. Um, I mean, there's a mass exodus to Tennessee. I mean, almost everybody that moves into my neighborhood is, is, is from the West coast or from New York period. Right. So we're already seeing that happen. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really, and I don't think it's just going to be bad in terms of homelessness and those things. I think it's going to be bad in terms of surveillance, in terms of um, locking you down. You know, those 15 minute cities, I think that that's code for you can't go 15 minutes of travel away <laughs> without, you know, explicit permission from the government. And people don't realize that. But I think that that is, um, you know, a, a leftist president administration and governor's wet dream is to have that kind of control. No, absolutely. And and I got to tell you, man, this whole sperm count thing and the low testosterone and the erectile dysfunction in the youth is, is very concerning. I mean, what do you do to prevent all this stuff? I mean, with the astrazine and all, like how, how would yeah. you advise people to I mean, I, there's I, a few I, things I, you can do. I, right don't, off think, I don't think anybody can fully avoid it, but what can we do? What can we do? Yeah, there, well, I'll give you. I want to know your routine, like I like I said. Yeah, few easy tips. So um, we do know that atrazine is used in pesticides, right, and herbicides. Yeah. So try to eat organic as much as you can from a. But farm. is it really organic anymore? That, well, that's is where I was going. From a farm that you that you can trust. So you need to do your research on the, and if you're buying from a big grocery store that's selling some organic brands, take some time, you know, find the ground beef that you like that's from a farm where they get into detail 
about what they're actually feeding their cows. And it, it takes some time, but you, if you want to know, you got to do it. So that, that's one tip. It's better than just going and buying the cheap, you know, stuff in the plastic, uh, that's you know, just a regular Kroger brand or whatever. Um, that's one, two would be don't drink tap water. <laughs> Cause it's that, that, that's when I'm talking about the, the water runoff three would be nonstick skillets. So there's a bunch of the different nonstick skillets out there. Um, a lot of the coatings used in those are heavy, heavy endocrine disruptors, big time. Um, so go with cast iron or go with, I forget there's one, um, nonstick coating that I can't think of which one it is. Cause I've switched to all cast iron stuff. I know it's a little annoying cause stuff can get stuck on the pan, but um, a lot of endocrine disruption and, you know, the, the testosterone loss is coming from that as well. So, you know, you just got to take some time to get educated, but that's three. Don't drink tap water. Try to eat organic and stay away from most nonstick skillets because um, that's right where you're cooking your food. And you know that those chemicals are getting into whatever you're eating. No, I, I, I hear you, man. It's. It's crazy. And, and what, and what about all this meatless society talk and, you know, how yeah. they're attacking farmers mm. and shutting them down and, you know, they don't, they want all this access to, you know, what they put in. I mean, they're even talking about putting Moderna technology, the vaccine technology into meats. I mean, they already have in, in certain. Yeah. I think in pork, um, they, they're doing it already. Um, yeah. Again, you got to be educated on, on which food companies you're buying from. And I mean, if you can get to know like a local farmer, that's, that's the best thing, you know, in terms of milk, in terms of meats, all of that. Um, but in terms of, of getting away from meats entirely, yeah, that's, that's just a, that's a plot and a plan to, re, to weaken, um, especially men. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that men have become exceedingly weak and effeminate and uh, lack courage and that, you know, not eating meat is, is, is a part of that. Now they'll, they'll claim otherwise, you know, our plant-based proteins, all the same stuff. It's not, they, they want, they want to weaken us. They want there to be fewer of us because that's more easily to, con to control us. And I wouldn't, I mean, you look on the back label of those uh, Beyond Burger or one of the other ones. And it's like, it reads like the back of a shampoo bottle. Like it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't even sound like food when you read it, you know, it's a lot, it's a bunch of chemicals. So you want to put stuff in your body that you can describe to a child. <laughs> you know, I think right. that's a, that's a good rule of thumb. And, and Rory, I, I am going to have to run here. Um, not, not right at this second, but I just wanted you to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a 10 more minutes, just a few more things. I just want to ask you real quick. Um, okay, I, I got a hard stop at, at uh, 5.35. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, pornography, you've spoken out about that. Um, <clears throat> explain that to the audience because it's a big problem for young men. It's a big problem for men of all ages and even women. Yeah. I mean, people are going to therapy for addiction for this. Uh, it really, in a lot of ways, ruins sex because it has people create these unrealistic expectations yeah. that they, that they see in pornography and they think that's what they can do in the bedroom. I mean, sometimes obviously, you know, you can make some of these fantasies into a reality, but it goes way overboard. If you know what I mean with, yeah, with yeah. people, it takes over their mind, but speak on that. 
yeah, it harmed me badly for a lot of years. You know, when I was out traveling and playing baseball on the road, I was, you know, I was, I was lonely. I was a Christian guy. So I was trying not to, you know, hook up with a bunch of women and all that, which sadly that went by the wayside. And part of what led me to go down that road was it was the pornography, you know, and, and, um, because what it does, and this is a biblical truth as well as a neurochemistry truth. Um, so I'll start with what the Bible says. The Bible says that the eye of man is never satisfied. And if you're not, not to say that you can't look upon beauty, but there's a way that you're supposed to. And looking at pornography, all it does is create a need for more. You know, it's, it's not like, okay, I, I got my fix. So you might be, you might have your fix for five hours or for that day, but it, it's a growing disease. It's something that gets worse and worse. And that's, that's a, another reason for the depth of perversion that you'll see now if you go to porn sites or whatever, uh, but also just in society, the depth of perversion is because people can, they stop being satisfied with normal, you know, sexual beauty or sexual behaviors. And you got to go to the next thing. Now, neurochemistry science has proven recently that there's two, uh, there's two chemicals that are released during an orgasm, um, depending on the kind of orgasm. It's really weird, but when you are with, um, especially within a marriage relationship, but with a significant other that you are uh, uh, monogamous with, your, your brain during orgasm releases melatonin and the, is it melatonin? Yeah. And then one other chemical that has meant it's, it's a satisfaction chemical. It's not just dopamine. I think it's, it releases dopamine and melatonin, uh, which melatonin kind of makes you sleepy or whatever. But, um, uh, what, whichever chemical it is, it stops you from needing more all the time. And it's a truly satisfying moment versus pornography will release the dopamine, but not that other chemical that will stop the need for more. So that's why a lot of people, they think, okay, if I just look at some porn, I can go to sleep. Right. And maybe you, maybe some people have done that, but for the most part, like it does, it, it wires you even more. And that's why people stay up all night looking at it. You know, right. it's, it's, so it's, it's not about like getting to that satisfying moment and then it being done. A lot of times you, you can't go to sleep after and your brain is so filled with the images. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's no end to it. So I think just from a neurochemistry level and a logical level, it's bad for that reason. Um, but like you said, it creates unrealistic expectations. You begin to not be able to, to find your own wife to be attractive versus when you get away from that stuff for an elongated period of time, you can look at your wife and you start seeing aspects of her and beauty in her that like, you're like, how did I, how did I miss that? You know? And, and it's, it's sad, but it, it's a necessary process and it's a good process as, as someone, you know, detaches from that fantasy world. Right. No, I hear you. I agree. No, 100%. And I have to ask you about your pro career. <laughs> yeah. What was, that, what was that like, man? Once in a lifetime opportunity, you're a three-time all-star played seven years. Wow. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, it was the culmination of a dream, man. So I'm, I'm proud of that career that I put together. Um, I think I could have gone to a higher level. Um, I had a lot of injuries I had to contend with. And, um, right there at the end, I mentioned getting to big league spring training and, um, I was leading the sprint, the Phillies, um, for, <laughs> they had just won the world series the year before. Uh, in 2008, I was invited to 2009 big league spring training and, uh, I was having a blast. I was leading the team in hitting and RBIs just coming off the bench. So 
every time they were putting me in, I was getting a big knock and it was, it was great. Um, and, and I had an injury on a home run. It's crazy. So I was rounding the bases and I lost all feeling in one of my, in my right leg. And it kind of was the beginning of the end of my pro career, um, which really sucks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, it, it was fun, man. The, the relationships, the camaraderie, um, getting to know all those people from all over the planet, really, because baseball is such an international game and how much they loved America. And it was it was prior to all the social justice stuff infecting sports. So you had people from other nations like streaming down tears during our national anthem and they were pretty damn dark skinned. <laughs> so to me, like all that happened in baseball is it's, it's a huge psyop. It's a huge, just fake thing that they've been able to pull the wool over the eyes of even multi-million dollar athletes. So, um, that whole thing's been, been bothersome since I've left, but yeah, man, my, my baseball career was, was, uh, uh, so it was once in a lifetime because I'm not going to get to go back and do it again, <laughs> but I'm proud of those years and I had a lot of fun. And you said that you wish you would have gone to the next level. Kind of explain that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I made it to AAA and, um, you know, I didn't ever get you to. Be it sounds like you easily could have. I mean, you were a three time all star. You know, you were a big deal. I mean, AAA is the highest before the bigs. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I had some. Um, I had some real, real obstacles that came with, you know, just injuries that happened on the one hand, but on the other hand, um, you know, I, even after the injury that I had in big league spring training, they sent me down to the minors. I was hitting home runs like a madman. I mean, even though my back was hurt and stuff, right. It just like, it was, it was crazy. And, um, I found myself on the bench, like, just like I was, I'd hit a game winning home run and yeah. then be on the bench the next game. And we had had a, a change of the guard of the um, major and minor league ownership and the brass, the whole thing changed. Um, and so all the guys that had watched me come up and saw those, you know, all-star performances and other things, they, they just, they didn't have plans for me. Um, and I was, I was playing too good for them to, um, I shouldn't say too good for them to want to trade me. They might've tried to try, trade me. I don't know, but they tried to bury me, but so that they could bring up their own prospects um, cause that would make them look good. You know, it goes back to pride. Now this is not like a, Oh, poor me story here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I had the goods at that time, um, to go on and play at the big league level and, and bring the, you know, whatever team I was on some success. I mean, I definitely had the experience and I'd, I'd paid my dues, but, um, I was also putting forth the, uh, the gameplay that would be necessary. And, you know, what, what is it like being on the road? you know, constantly. I mean, what yeah. is, explain that. I mean, it has to be quite the, quite the scene. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, back, you, back then I was living a different life than I'm living now. You know, now I'm married with two kids. Right. My last professional game was, um, gosh, 12 years ago now. So that's kind of crazy just to even say out loud. It doesn't seem like that long, but, um, you know, at that time the road was exciting uh, it was also extremely tedious because you're talking about long bus rides um, soaked with cervezas on all the cushions, like of all these like seats, you know, um, guys laying on the floor of the bus trying to get a little bit of sleep. I mean, it was the truly like the minor league, like the grind, they call it. Um, but then you get to that city and, you know, it's a lot of fun. You get to know a new place. You're, you're kind of like a, a you know, a, a minor league celebrity while you're there. So that that's fun. We'd go out at night. 
Um, you know, I got into some trouble like everybody else did some things I'm embarrassed of, but also did some, you know, I took a lot of video. That's one thing, Rory. I actually took a ton of video of those, those days and nights and yeah. nights out that I've never released. And I've got some of the coolest, like vulgarest. <laughs> I, I just got an insane amount of footage that I've got to go back and go through at some point. Cause I bought one of the first high definition cameras that were on the market back right. in like 2005, 2006. And man, I was getting all kind of fun stuff. So, so someday I'm gonna have to go back and make a little like, you know, a day in the life type documentary. Oh, absolutely. I think that'd be fantastic. And I mean, how many different cities would you play in each, each year? Did you ever calculate that? Cause I know, yeah, I mean that, I know that, when you guys go there, you're usually there two or three games at a time and then you move yeah. on. Yeah. Th usually three, maybe four games at a time. And, yeah. um, yeah, you know, you just, all you got to do is look at a, uh, you know, a league schedule. I forget how many teams were in like most minor leagues, but let's say there's, let's say there's 25 teams. That means you're going to, you're going to travel quite a bit. Um, and then each year you're going to another, a new 25 teams. That's 25 different cities. You add that up over seven years, you know, seven times 25 plus your spring training. You know, that mine was in Clearwater, Florida. That's another city that I got to know really well. Um, I spent time in Arizona. Phoenix was where I played the Arizona Fall League. Um, so I, I've lived in like, I think it's like 25 states. <laughs> like wow. some, something nuts where I've at least spent like a month or more. Like, you know. <laughs> now, looking back, Jeremy, do you think you're partying? Do you think you got in the way of achieving very <clears throat> various things? You, you were talking about that earlier. You kind of got... There may have been a time or two. I'll put Did it. Never like, get out of control because I imagine no. you know you're a good you're a good looking dude. You probably had you know a lot of different women on the road. You know, I mean that's a lot of athletes are like I that. I mean, that's how that. the game is, right? Yeah, I mean not everybody. There's some really good dudes that are married and they they don't cheat on their wives. There's a lot that do, you know. Right. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to paint everybody with that brush. Say that's just who they are. That's how it is. There, there's there's some guys that you know really walk the line. Um, you know, for me, did it, did it get in the way? I definitely partied hard, but I was, <laughs> I was young. I was in shape. I knew how to rally, get up, sweat a bunch. Yeah. I remember one, I'll give you an example. Like there were a few times, I mean, baseball is a grind. You okay. have to have discipline. some discipline, but you've also got to have release, you know, and, and I probably could have been smarter about it from time to time, but there were a few times, man, where I, I can't, maybe this is just talent. Maybe it's, me just needing to like have a different consciousness that game. There were a few times where I knew that I partied too much the night before and I felt hungover going into the game, like really bad. Yeah. And even thought about going to my coach saying like, I'm sick, but I didn't do it. I'd stay in the game and hitting like going two for four with two home runs, you know, like, you know, just how does this happen? And other games you feel like super fresh, super on point and you go and you strike out four times. It, yeah. So Sometimes that's really difficult to quantify. Um, I would say if I wouldn't have gone out and partied at all, yeah. I would have played worse because it would have been so lonely and such a grind. And with, with no, like, you know, I'm single, like you need to get out and breathe the fresh air and have a drink, you know, here and there, in my opinion. But if I would have reined it back, like take it, it's like out, out of on a scale from one to 10, 
if Josh Hamilton was a 10, you know, party to the point he couldn't play baseball. I was like a seven, you know, a six you where I, I, I got after it too much. Sometimes if I ran that back to like a four, it probably would have been better for me. So it's more of a matter of my, my balance was off sometimes, right. but I wasn't one that let that stuff just get haywire where, you know, I was approached by my coaches or nothing like that. Were roids a thing in your organization? Did anybody ever get caught with them? Um, yeah, some of the foreign guys did because they were trying to do it down at the Dominican, but you got to remember this was my pro career was not too long after the McGuire Sosa, you know, even bonds and the way that major league baseball cracked down was they cracked down in the minor leagues harsher than they did the big leagues because they didn't, it's almost like if all of a sudden the WWE said no more steroids, like, okay, they, they want to do it in phases so that they wouldn't have just a bunch of skinny guys come out the next year. You know what I'm saying? So I think that they, they piled on on the minors to make sure that we weren't using. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I never did it. And a lot of the players I played, I think most players I played with didn't, but that was more based around that was the time period that we came through, you know, and I'm sure there was some guys that found ways around it and didn't get caught. And I may have even played with a few of them, but I didn't know about it. Now I have to ask you, what do you think of baseball at, at this moment with it going woke and kind of, you know, mm. buy, buy, they're buying into it and then basically um, they're giving in. They're, yeah. they're being suckers. Well, I'll, I'll preface it with this. This has to be my last answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah we'll, conclude, we'll conclude here. I know. I know yeah. you got to go out with the wife and the family. And yeah. It's Friday night. And yeah, I love interviewing it. you, man. I got to get you back on soon, man. I could yeah, talk let me to be, you for let me hours be your first and hours. Next time. Let me be your first guest next time because I, we get we get into Friday night, man. That's a tough night for me. Right. Yeah. Because I want to talk about all the stuff that you're working on because I know you got a lot of different things that you sent me yeah. that you want to talk about, about you know, the new world order, the world economic forum, you know, different groups. And yeah. We could go deep on any one today was like a general for your audience. Like this might've been a 10,000 foot level on, you know, some things that I kind of know a little bit about, but yeah, we can go deep. Um, but to answer your question about, uh, Oh, about sports going woke, especially baseball, yeah. you know, well, year, all of them at this point, but baseball, I wanted to ask you about that because that's, that was your profession. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't at the time you were playing. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, hmm. There's a different there. Two years ago, I was really uh, angry with, I didn't watch any baseball up until like last year, a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, and, and this year I'm watching some, and I went to a minor league game recently. Yeah. Um, because I see it, you know, the, the whole social justice thing, but you know, we're, we're long past for now the big BLM riots and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all that, that junk, those, those, those fake and used stories. Um, I think that what you have with these athletes, because I've been around them and I've, I've got the, you know, I, I can say this, you've got guys with big bodies, big muscles and very little courage and very little knowledge of what's really going on. And at the end of the day, they're taught you do, the most courageous thing you can do is to keep on, keep that uniform on and live out your dream. And they're told if you don't go out and kneel and hold the hand of, you know, hold, hold the black rope or whatever it was the baseball players did, which was kind of different than the other sports, then uh, you're not, 
you know, you're not really part of the team and you could be endangering your career. So, it, you know, because they're, they're dopey and they're not, they're all they're thinking is I just, my, my allegiance is to my team and to making it to the big leagues. That's what they do, you know? And, and then they see some big stars in the big leagues do it. And they're like, well, okay, they're doing it too. So it's a lot like the COVID shots. Really? It's like, okay, we look around. Everybody else seems to be kind of buying into this. Our manager's telling us to do it. The team owner's telling us to do it. Well, shit, I guess I'll do it, you know? So, but because so much time has passed, I think that that's faded with a lot of players. You're not really getting as, it's not in your face as much, I don't think, in baseball right now, or maybe in all sports in general compared to in 2021. Um, so, there, I have some hope. My hope is that, People are just so sick and tired of it, and they kind of see through it at this point. And I, I think there's a lot of people out there in America that if it were to come back around and there were to be another like George Floyd scenario and BLM comes along and they try to do the whole thing again, I think a lot of people are just exhausted. They'd be like, not this time. And I think you'd have a lot more players that would do the same thing. So right. I've, I've got some hope for it. Um, not, I'm not maxed out on hope, but I think that there is some. Very well said. I, I totally agree. And I love having you with us, man. And uh, have a yeah, great week. Great. Have, have a fantastic weekend and tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me, all my stuff, these deep dives he's talking about at JSLay USA. I prefer you follow me on Instagram or Rumble, J-S-L-A-Y USA. And for men that, that enjoyed this conversation and have interest in getting in shape and, um, you know, getting some mental clarity going and getting spiritually grounded, go to warriormbs.com forward slash Rory. Um, and you can schedule a call with me. And the first person who chooses to do the program, it's nine, it's uh, uh, nine weeks. First person that chooses to do it, gets it for free. Um, the other guy's got to pay, but you'll be glad that you paid the money. Ex excellent. My friend. Well, we'll have you back here very soon, Jeremy, a real pleasure. Keep up the great work, man. God bless. Thanks brother. Talk to you All soon. Right, man. All right. Bye. Everybody, another episode of Rory Sodder and the news in the books. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Until next time, I'm Rory Sodder. God bless. Much love. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>